A warm up for Lilo! Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas! For Just Go Tubes with myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Kevin Sweeney does a great job over there with Sports Illustrated. It's going to be joining me. We're going to be chatting about just what we've seen in conference play thus far, what we can attribute some of the high scoring that we've been seeing recently in college basketball to, and take a look at Tuesday's games, and then... In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast and for one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters M, name me does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're about fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Did not wind up getting in too many Twitter questions today, and we have to do this a tad bit earlier, so not going to be able to recap what we wound up seeing in Oregon versus Oregon State since I am on the lookout tonight on Vsin. So, oh, part of the family of Vsin, I am doing. Quite a bit these next few days, so we've got a lot of fun with that. But with that said, we'll end up seeing quite a bit of action in college basketball on Monday. So let's take a look back and try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. A lot of teams ranked in the bottom 20 with regards to my college basketball power rankings wound up taking the court. Some covered, some did not. Iwipiwi, IUPUI, got a cover against UIC as they scored 60 points for the first time all season, got their second over as you wound up seeing a little bit of an explosion late in this game. The game was 56 of 54 with right around 230 left. Wound up seeing a lot of late game felling in the end. UIC gets a 67 to 65 win. I'm still not high on this IUPUI team. They wind up going and shooting 52% from the floor, so they were just efficient in this game. 14 turnovers for them. UIC, they wound up doing a relatively solid job of their own 9-27 from three-point range. They were down one of their top players in Damari Franklin, so that was certainly a little bit of an issue for them, but for IUPUI, they were able to get a good performance off the bench from Bakari Lestrep, who was able to give the team 16 points. So, might be a little bit of something for them moving forward. Colgate has been a little bit of a disappointment this year, but they were really able to put it on Army. They get down double digits early, and then they just pulled away. 76-57 to the final for Colgate. They've been without Nelly Cummings for much of the year, but he was coming around in this game. Just 10 points, so wasn't necessarily his best performance, but for Colgate, 10-27 from three-point range. Meanwhile, Army... 5-11 at the free throw line. They do wind up getting out rebounded Army did by kind of 44-32. to So a very quality performance there from Colgate. You wind up seeing a very quality performance from North Dakota State as well. They go on the road. They get a double-digit win and cover against Denver. And then you did wind up seeing Boston U re- finding themselves a little bit after they were in a little bit of a rough stretch. 79-53 to the final in this one. And the real intriguing part is that the total in this game was 130 and you very nearly had a calamity because Boston U wound up scoring a grand total of two points in the final 320. You had 129 points with 320 remaining. Barely winds up scraping over, but for Boston U, what they did a really good job of being able to win this rebound battle 44-29. to And for American, right now looking like one of the lesser teams out there in all of college basketball. Navy looking like a power out there in the Patriot League as well. They take down Lafayette by kind of 69-55. to And then when it comes to the swack, Mississippi Valley State, they were feeling themselves after they were able to get that nice win over Prairie View and then 
They probably got dump trucked by Texas Southern. 95-58 to at Texas Southern. Last year was a very up-tempo team. They've been playing a little bit slower this year, but you saw them in this game really pumping up their tempo. They won the rebound battle by a count of 47-31, and for Mississippi Valley State, just a really bad showing in general for this team, and they were without their top scorer in Robert Carpenter. It seems like they might be going through some COVID protocols, so that was not necessarily too great for them. Prairie View, the last team without a win in all of college basketball. They win and cover, and funny enough, last team to not win a game in college basketball is a 12-point favorite, and they cover this one 75-58, to the final last because Prairie View wound up playing a bunch of bye games, and for Arkansas Pine Bluff, 1 of 17 from 3-point range, just cataclysmically bad. They had 16 turnovers in this game, Prairie View had 19 of their own, but... They go 7 of 22 from 3-point range, so very much a strange game in this one as top scorer Jawan Daniels came off the bench for Prairie View. He was dealing with some ailments. He winds up coming back. We've got a couple bad teams out there in the Summit League that wind up hitting the floor on Monday. North Dakota has really been falling down my rankings. South Dakota closes as a 6-point favorite. They cover it 75-68. to This was very nearly a calamity, by the way, as South Dakota was up by 16 points with about 547 remaining, and their North Dakota State made a little bit of a charge before South Dakota was able to cover for North Dakota. They wound up going 8 of 23 from three-point range, but for South Dakota, 17 of 23 at the free-throw line as he wound up having Mason Armjabalt, who wound up going 9 of 9 at the free-throw line, 19 points, and Hunter Goodrick, 18 rebounds in this game to be able to carry the way. Meanwhile, for North Dakota, I will say Mr. Paul Burns was able to give the team 21 points, did so on 20 shots, so he was doing his best Carmelo Anthony impression, and then UMKC gets a win, but no cover against Omaha, all of a sudden has been able to cover three straight games, a team that I had ranked in my bottom 10 in all of college basketball going into this one, 64-61 to the final for Omaha. They were able to have Three very good performance off the bench. Nick Ferrarini was able to give you 17 points. Kyle Lutke, 11 points. And then Darius Hughes was able to give you 10 points. As out of their 61 points, you wound up having 38 of them wind up coming off the bench. And for UMKC, they were without Josiah Alec in this game. But they were able to get a good performance off the bench of their own. Arkel Lamar, who has missed quite a bit of this season, has been just banged up in general. Wanted coming in 20 points, 7 rebounds. UMKC won the slower teams in all of college basketball. They were able to hit an under for you, and then you wound up having some action out there in the SoCon with ETSU just absolutely bludgeoning Western Carolina by kind of 87 to 69. This is going to be a long year for Western Carolina. Meanwhile, for ETSU, 8 of 21 from three point range, 23 points out of Jordan King. They're looking relatively solid in UNC Greensboro, able to erase a double digit deficit that they wound up having at the half against Wofford to be able to get a win by kind of 58 to 54 for Wofford. Just a team that was, I think we'll close this thing out late for Wofford. You did have BJ Mack give you 18 points, but for UNC Greensboro, a team that has been relatively solid with regards to their defense but not necessarily so great on offense. They did wind up going 9 of 28 from 3-point range with the leader for this team being Kobe Langley. He was able to chip in their 17 points as top scorer for the season. Devontae Buckingham wound up having a little bit of a struggle and for Wofford 19 turnovers wound up doing them in this one. So we did wind up seeing a little bit of action in college basketball Monday. Obviously, I'm sure that many of you guys were tuned into the national title game. And then when it comes to what we've all been seeing in college basketball, Ben, keeping note of this, the fact that road teams are doing really well right now. Hitting at a 58.1% clip against the spread. 150, 108, and 3. This is just over the last 7 days. Over the last 7 days, home underdogs, 35, 53, and 1. I think we're going to see a little bit of a reversal there and overs in this time span. 
157 of them to 100 as I record this the last seven days. That's a 61% clip. If you look overall in college basketball this season, road teams only hitting about a 50.2% clip, so a little bit 50-50 there, but overall, over 51.3% is what they're hitting at right now. Home underdogs for the season 291, 296, and 12. We will see if these trends wind up holding up. Now moving forward, when it comes to college athletics, all about college basketball until, well, the college baseball season does wind up ramping up, which is always exciting, but certainly college basketball going to be reigning supreme moving forward, and a man that reigns supreme whenever he joins this podcast, that'd be Kevin Sweeney. He does terrific work over there with Sports Illustrated. We're going to be chatting with him next about what we've all been seeing in conference play thus far, and take a look at Tuesday's games. That is up next right here on Coast to Coast Seeps with myself, Greg Eames, and now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. And over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much. So hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said, Therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Coast. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas. We're Coast to Coast Soup with myself, Greg Eupius, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guests as this fan does absolutely terrific work over there with Sports Illustrated. He also does a podcast of his of his own, as that is the CBB Central podcast. He does that with Brad Cavallaro as we go out to the great state of Illinois, where we find Kevin Sweeney, who you're able to find on Twitter at CBB underscore Central. And Kevin, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Greg. Thank you for joining me. And Kevin, we have seen about two or so weeks of, I guess you'd call it full-on conference play, because obviously you wind up getting those stray games in like late November, early December. But now we're really in it when it comes to conference play. Now we are getting some strange games like Ohio State versus Ewe Pewee. That's going to be coming up in a few days. But what have you really made out of these first couple weeks of conference play? Because 
I feel like typically some of these underdog teams, some of these teams that are at home, they haven't necessarily done as well as you typically expect in conference play. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been interesting. I think, you know, for me, the thing that's been noteworthy has been the parity at the top of a couple of leagues in particular. The, I think the Big East and, and the SEC in particular are the ones that, that stand out. But I think we've hit somewhat of a rut in terms of upsets, really until the Miami game this past weekend when they were knock off Duke. Our first month of the season was so upset driven and revolving door at the number one spot with the exception really of Miami over Duke and Wisconsin at Purdue just hasn't felt like there's been there's been too much craziness in college basketball the last couple of weeks and I'm not sure exactly what to attribute that to whether it's the COVID things or just kind of things getting settled in conference play or just the thing that happens it's two or three weeks in a college basketball season sets aren't going to come clean every single week so I think it's been interesting to monitor I don't know that there's necessarily a takeaway to be had from it yet you know, we certainly still had some some shockers. I certainly was surprised that Miami was able to go on the road and win at Cameron. But that's the sport for you, man. Every time you think you something, figure it out. You don't. Oh, I am right there with you. It is part of why we both love and hate college basketball at the same time as betters because the unexpected becomes routine quite often. And one of my theories for why we've seen a little bit less craziness is if you just take a look at what we've seen in college basketball the last month or so, scoring is way up. And it's not necessarily because games are becoming a little bit more frenetic. The tempo has not really changed, but I saw the graph that Ken Pomeroy wound up putting out and the scoring has just gone up and up and up. Would you attribute this a little bit to the lack of upsets and why do you think scoring has gone so high? Because I would think that with so many guys out due to COVID-19 or what have you, you would see a little bit of the opposite when leading scorers wind up getting scratched like an hour before the game. It's an interesting trend. I, I think one thing that I have noticed when watching games, and I've been around a lot, especially the last week and a half or so since I got back into the Chicago area, you know, you're seeing a lot of teams that are just really letting their guards go create. I just feel like anecdotally, I've watched a lot of games where teams are just freeing up their guards to go make plays in space and they're running less sets. And they're just executing offense with, you know, guys who can create off the bounce. And I think there is a great number of those in the sport right now. I think you know, maybe not one elite point guard, but I think there's just a tremendous amount of scoring talent around the country on the wings. Some of the scoring point guards, I think like a, a guy like Blake Wesley in Notre Dame kind of fits that mold. So I think a lot of it's just coaches kind of letting the reins off, but it's not a trend that we've normally seen in college basketball. I mean, Scoring usually doesn't magically increase in January, so it's certainly been interesting to see see the, the points start stacking up here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it has been certainly interesting, fun, and sort of just annoying for me as a better personally. So that has been something that has been very noteworthy in my opinion. So we shall see if that winds up continuing or if we see a little bit of regression to that. As we do have Kevin Sweeney joining me on the podcast, does a great job with the CBB Central podcast, also Sports Illustrated. Then. For Tuesday, we've got a really good slate of basketball. We've got a lot of ranked teams that are going to be in action. One game that I'm very curious to see, got about a 12-point underdog here with Iowa State going on the road faceoff against Kansas. Iowa State has really been one of the biggest surprises in all of college basketball. They lose that game to Oklahoma, but I actually still like what I saw from that team. They were tied with six minutes left to go, and then just in the final sequence things wound up getting completely away from them but by and large they look very good and you've got a Kansas team that went on the road they went up against a short-handed Texas Tech team and they wound up putting out their their worst performance of the season what do you expect out of this one because I don't think Iowa State wins the game outright but I think that this is a good spot for Iowa State to hang within single digits and give Kansas a pretty good scare it's a big number 
I mean, without a doubt. I mentioned I was at the Wisconsin-Purdue game at Mackey that Johnny Davis went off in. It feels similar to that where it's like, yeah, you know, I never like backing a team going to Mackey Arena, or in this case, I certainly don't like backing a team heading into Allen Fieldhouse, but that's a big number for a team that I think is pretty good and particularly is pretty good on the defensive end of the floor. I don't see Iowa State giving up 85 points to Kansas. And I think, you know, with Brock and Ken and Tyrese Hunter, they'll have enough where they can at least kind of hang on the fight for a while. I mean, you know, I guess the only thing you might wonder is, you know, they gave up 79 points on 1.25 points per possession against Oklahoma. Maybe that's a sign that there's defensive regression coming with this Iowa State group. The biggest reason I've been surprised is how good they've been on defense. And TJ Otzelberger has not been known in his career. He's like a sharp defensive mind, but they've really put it together on that on the floor. So I guess that'd be my only concern. But, you know, it feels like a big number for how stingy Iowa State has been on that end of the floor, combined with the fact that, you know, Hunter and Brockington can keep you in any game. And you mentioned the fact that the Miami over Duke upset was one of the biggest ones of the season. Now Miami has to go on the road and face their interstate rival, Florida State, finding this number right around six. And it just feels like it's a really bad scheduling spot here for Miami. Miami has really impressed me. They've been able to overcome just about every challenge aside from when they wound up taking a couple bad losses out there in that Orlando multi-team event. Ever since then, this team has been a lightning rod. I just wonder how much regression we're going to see with this offense because they've been shooting it really well from three. They have not been turning the ball over. And this is a Florida State team that they feast upon turnovers. So I feel like this is going to be a spot in which Miami has a chance to be able to either win the game outright or lose by double digits. I really don't see a lot of in between. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I will say if I'm hunting for letdown spots, I like them at home more than I like them on the road. You know, I think there's something about you know, an in-state rivalry game where you're going up and you're playing in a packed house that, you know, is challenging and I think gets you up for a game. So I, I do worry a little bit less about the, you know, letdown effect there with Miami. But at the same time, I think Florida State is always tough to beat on their home floor. They're coming off a nice win over Louisville that they were in control for most of the way. That's not a spot that I feel great about backing Miami, particularly, I think, given the fact that, you know, the Canes are not going to shoot it this well all season long. Right. I mean, I think their guards are tremendous and their guards give them opportunity in a game. But eventually you're just going to have a stinker shooting the ball from three. And they have not had that stinker yet. I guess, I mean, against Duke, they didn't shoot a great, but they were just so good getting to the rim. And Duke did nothing to disrupt them on offense with the turnovers. I mean, that's not something you expect with a Duke team. So I'm still a little bit skeptical on Miami. And because of that, I think it feels like it makes sense to be on, on, on Florida State side in this one. I'm right there with you. I'm sort of halfway in on Miami. That game in which they wanted to play against Duke. Charlie Moore had seven steals and the team had five turnovers. I mean, that's just absolutely <laughs> insane right there. As we do have Kevin Sweeney of CBB Central, that podcast, along with Sports Illustrated, joining me on the podcast. And I think that we will both agree one of the biggest games that we're going to see, really not just on Tuesday, but for the week in general, the good old Iron Bowl is going to be hitting the hardwood. Alabama versus Auburn. Alabama, a very, very slight, right around one and a half-ish point favorite. I think that this is going to be a really intriguing game because Alabama has become a big, giant enigma. Right when you get out on Alabama, they put up a big performance. Right when you want to jump in and you want to bind Alabama, they lose to Missouri. So 
I don't know what you make out of this game, but I think it's going to be really fascinating because I feel like Alabama is one of the highest ceilings and one of the lowest floors of any team in college basketball. It's baffling. And look, in the Iona and Davidson losses for the Tide were justifiable. They were teams that are extremely well coached, that game plan extremely well, that have experience. You know, Davidson has the shooting. Iona has the defense. It, you know, they have the size up front. Both teams do. But for Missouri, this dreadful Missouri team to hang 90 points on Alabama was maybe the weirdest result of the season in college basketball. I don't get it. I'm not going to pretend to get it. I think (laughs) I just assumed that that game never happened. That said, I mean, look, I think Auburn's a difficult matchup for Alabama because, you know, Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler provide something in the front court that very few teams in the nation can match. I think it's probably the most versatile talented front court in college basketball with the shot blocking from Kessler, which I think is so important when Alabama tries to get downhill and then Smith's ability to shoot the ball and score from, from downtown. I mean, it's just unmatched. I think, you know, maybe there's some matchups that Alabama can exploit by putting, making Smith defend in space, not letting Kessler get back on defense and trying to score in transition. But I don't even feel great about them in a track meet with Auburn, given how good Wendell Green has been, given how dynamic Katie Johnson can be, given that Alan Flanagan is starting to work his way back and has been relatively productive. I love this Auburn team. I don't feel good about not you know backing them, especially if I can get a point. I think it probably winds up near a pick, but I love this Auburn team. And this Alabama team is just not trustworthy enough for me to, to want to back them here. And Jabari Smith is going to be, at minimum, a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. I'm seeing a lot of people have him as a top five pick in the NBA draft, rightfully so. He's just got a unique skill set. So I do agree with you. He is going to be a very hard guard in this game. And my friend, Kevin, I know that you have been in on this team. So we're going to talk about this one. Loyal Chicago Valparaiso. Loyal Chicago, I don't put a lot into the fact that they wound up going into overtime against Bradley. That was a terrible scheduling spot. They had to go to Salt Lake City. They knock off San Francisco. They go back home. They have to play that game like 48 hours later. So there is a lot of herky-jerkiness. But at the same time, I actually think that this Valparaiso team is badly undervalued. They're a 17-point underdog in this game. And they now have Kobe King in the fold. The guy that was able to average 10 points per game in the Big Ten. He's been doing some good things with Valparaiso. Ben Cricky has been solid. This is a spot in which I think that Loyal Chicago, no doubt, is going to be able to win the game outright. I wouldn't doubt it if they wind up winning by 10, but I think that this is a Valparaiso team to keep an eye on and a team that could finish in the upper half of the Missouri Valley Conference. Look, Valpo is very talented. There's no question. I've been incredibly disappointed with them this season because I looked at it and I said, you know, they have Kobe King, obviously, but you also have, you know, Sheldon Edwards, who was a big time scorer last year as a freshman, a big time athlete. Thomas Kithier, I think, is a good center in the Missouri Valley. And you know, so far, shooting 72% from two this season. You know, Cricky up front, the Edmonton kid, is a skilled forward who can do a lot of different things for you. They're too talented to be as bad as they've been at times, which makes me, you know, forever uncomfortable to go against them. The thing that challenges me is the coaching gap between Drew Valentine and Matt Loddick is pretty huge. And with this Loyola offense, it's much more dynamic than it's been in the past, especially on their home court. I've just seen them too many times go complete inferno mode and explode for five minutes and put up 20 points in five minutes or 17 points in five minutes and pull away. I think that's the concern you get in this game is Loyola, you know, keeps them at arm's length for 30 minutes and then, you know, completely explodes late and winds up covering. But I do think 17 points feels like a lot, particularly you know, given that I think Valpo is getting healthier and should get Kithier back. I know that he's been working through a COVID protocol. I, I believe he's supposed to play in this game, you know, assuming he does. That that helps you on the interior. 
And you mentioned that, and it's made things just so infuriating with handicapping college basketball because every single guy that winds up going into COVID protocol, it seems like it's a little bit different from whatever part of the country you're in, whatever conference the team is, what have you. So, and that is a big giant ball of wax that we've had to deal with as we do have Kevin Sweeney joining me on the podcast. And Kevin just mentioned it. We've got a really good slate of college basketball on Tuesday. Any other games that we have not hit on catch your eye? Because obviously we've got the two undefeated teams in play. We've got some relatively solid Big Ten action. I think that Penn State versus Rutgers, a little bit under the radar. You've obviously got a lot with regards to Big 12. Anything else you're really going to be keeping your eyes on for Tuesday? USC is a team I still want to see more of. You know, they won a Cal. It wasn't necessarily convincing. Now they go up to Stanford, one of the two undefeateds, and I still just don't have a great feel for them. So whenever I can get a chance to check them out, especially in a kind of tricky road spot, I will do that. So that's a game that I don't necessarily have a good feel for. I don't love the Stanford team, but I also think that eventually USC is going to fall flat on its face, and maybe maybe today's the day. Yeah, I think that's going to be really intriguing to take a look at USC, a team that is legitimately shooting sub-60% at the free throw line. We all remember there was a very good team that – was a one seed in the NCAA tournament that was able to get by until it mattered most. I'm talking about Memphis back when they had Derrick Rose way back in the day, and it nipped them in the tuchus at just the wrong time. And a man that always comes on this podcast at just the right time and always delivers is you, Kevin. You're doing great work over there with Sports Illustrated. Do a great job with the CBB Central Podcast and so much more. So look at you people at home. No, they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. CBB underscore central on Twitter. It's where all my work is linked. We had a busy week last week. I ran, you know, a couple of things about, you know, kind of resetting things as we head into conference play. And I'm also going to have something kind of introducing college football fans to college basketball this week for SI. And, you know, certainly we'll be on the road plenty. I'll actually be at that Loyola Alpo game you mentioned earlier. I'm going to Northwestern Maryland on Wednesday. Hopefully some stuff this weekend. I was at Purdue, Wisconsin and Notre Dame, North Carolina and DePaul Villanova this past week. So I've been making the rounds. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because we welcome in a new audience as college basketball season, as you're listening to this, is now done. We're recording this actually just as the college football national title game is getting kicked off. So Now we're going to have more and more eyes on college basketball and a man that I'm sure is going to be shining very bright under those lights is Kevin Sweeney. Always does a great job on this podcast and delivered once again today. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new infinity qx80 is unlike any luxury suv you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. 
obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eapspears. And now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Kevin Sweeney on the podcast. Does a great job with his own podcast, the ZBB Central Podcast. Also does amazing work over there at Sports Illustrated. So big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order here. This is where we wind up going with the games with three digits first and then the game at the bottom that have six digits. These are typically from smaller conferences and today I believe that it's only the Atlantic Sun. So pretty much we're in time order aside from the Atlantic Sun and then the Atlantic Sun games are going to be at the bottom. So I'll put that as simplistically as possible. And the reason why I go in Las Vegas rotation order is because instead of actually saying the team that you want to bet on, let's say that you want to bet on Hofstra today, instead of saying, oh, I want Hofstra on the money line, you would instead say, I want rotation number 605 on the money line. And most sites and books actually do list in this order as well. So that's why I do go in this order. But we're going to be starting with this first game of 601-602 on the betting board. The Bobcats of Quinnipiac hit the road face off against Canisius. The Golden Griffins find themselves a one-point underdog in your total on this game is 149. And for Canisius, this is going to be their first game since Christmas. So it has been a while for them. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out of the Bobcats of Quinnipiac and they should be able to run things down low. You've got Kevin Marfo, who's been a very good big man for this team. 9.8 points, 11 rebounds, and 4.2 assists per game was with the team two seasons ago and led all of college basketball with regards to rebounds per game with a little bit over 13. He's had at least 12 rebounds and 5 assists in each other team's last three games. So he has been able to do an absolutely terrific job there. And then you take a look at the Canisius Golden Griffins and Malik Green is the straw that serves a drink for this team. A guy that is able to give you right around 16.5 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, shoots 35.5% from three-point range. But the problem is he has been out for this team out of missing the last two games prior to this team going on break. Now, he's expected back, but I don't know if we're going to see fully the Malik Green that we wound up seeing of old. Amadou Fofana has been able to give you right around 3.5 assists per game. Should 70% of the free throw line and was able to step up his scoring while Malik Green was out of the fold, but you do have some concerns there. This is a Canisius team that overall, they're shooting about 31% from three. They do a good job of not turning the ball over, generate right around seven steals per game, but they've seen a little bit of fall off with Yako Fritz as well, the gentleman from the 
the Netherlands has been dealing with injuries as well. He wound up missing three games, and even in the games that he has been playing, he's been dishing out right around three assists per game as a good combo player, but his three-point shooting is down to 25%. He's only been able to give the team right around seven points per game. He's been able to get right around nine and a half points per game out of Jordan Henderson, so he's been able to trip in there a little bit of something. And then for Quinnipiac, your top scorer, Matt Blanche, who wound up missing a few games, he's back averaging 16 points per game, shooting 43% from three-point range. Savion Lewis most likely going to be out of the full, but I do expect Jacob Bergoni, a guy that has averaged at least eight points in each of the team's last three years, to be able to pick it up. He's now giving the team eight-plus points in each out of the last four games. So, want to make it Quinnipiac a two-point road favorite in this spot. It is an early game, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on a Tuesday. I do think that these teams are going to be a little bit tired of Kadisha. going to be a tad bit rusty. So, made this total 145. I'm looking at the under and willing to lay up to a deuce here with Quinnipiac. So, laying the one. 603-604 on the bang board. Iona hits the road face off against Fairfield. The Stags find themselves a six-point home underdog in your tolerance game. It's 138.5. I do think that Iona should be a favorite. I set them as a four-point favorite with Fairfield. This has actually been one of your better teams against the spread this season at 9-5. and five. Meanwhile, Iona, they're 10-4, and four, so both of these teams making you some money this year, but I do like the overall balance that you're able to get with Fairfield. Supreme Cook has been supreme down low for this team. 10 points, 8 rebounds per contest. He does a good job on the defensive side of things, and then you take a look at the flip side for Iona. Tyson Jelly has been very jelly for this team. He winds coming in from SMU, and he has been able to do a great job of being able to give the team right around 15 to 16 points per game. Someone that is able to hit the glass as well. That's more of the job of Nelly Jr. Joseph, though. Take a look at Nelly Jr. Joseph. 13 and a half points, 8 and a half rebounds. Jolly shoots 40% from three. Nelly Jr. Joseph more around 33% from distance, but he's also able to give the team Jr. Joseph 2.3 blocks per game. Overall, Iona only shoots about 32% from three, but they do shoot 72% at the free throw line. If you do have an issue for this team, it is that they wind up having right around 13 turnovers per game, but a little bit of that is because Elijah Joyner was missing for a few games earlier this season. A guy that has turned the ball over a combined seven times in the last four games that he has been out there. He's able to give the team right around two and a half assists. Chips in there, 10 points, five rebounds per game. But when you take a look at the backcourt of Taj Benning and company, it is very solid. Benning has been able to give this team 10 and a half points per game. Not a great three-point shooter. Fairfield, much like Iona, they shoot 71% of the free throw line. A little bit over 32% from three-point range. But Asus Cruz has been able to do a good job for this team. He's been able to give you right around seven and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. Jake Wojcik. Say we'll chip in their temper contest as well. So these guys have really been able to come to the forefront. And then Caleb Green, 3.2 assists to 1.2 turnovers per game. I think the Fairfield is going to have things reined in. I think that they're going to do a good job of controlling the ball. You got a Fairfield team that does rank in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. I think that they're going to be able to get a slower tempo in this game. So I'm taking a look at the under in this spot. Said this all at 137. And I made Iona four-point favorite. So we'll take six here with the home underdog of Fairfield. Six of five, six of six on the banging board. The pride of officer at the road to face off against Tosin. Towson find themselves a four-point favorite in your total on scheme. Is 146.5 to 147. Towson's a very slow team, so I don't understand where these high totals are coming from in these Tigers games, but I do take a look at Officer, and I feel like they should be the favorite. If you take a look ever since the beginning of the 2018-19 season, Hofstra has the best covered team of any team not named St. Thomas at all of college basketball. You've got a Hofstra team that is headlined by Zach Cooks, who has been a cook in this year. He's been able to get the team 16 points, 
four boards. Now, the three-point shooting can be a little bit off with him, but that's why you've got Jalen Ray shooting about 45% from three-point range. Guy has been absolutely tremendous for this team. You take a look at him, and he's given the team at least 19 points in four of the team's last five games, and the game that he didn't, he had 15 points. So, you know what? He's relatively rock-solid. Aaron Estrada, five assists to two and a half turnovers per game. He's able to shoot 94% at the free throw line. Overall, Hofstra, they shoot 78.5% at the line, just 10 turnovers per game, so they keep the ball moving. And then you take a look at Towson, and they were without a few guys earlier in the season, and Jason Gibson along with Antonio Rizzuto. These two guys combined to be able to give you 18.5 points per game. They combined to shoot about 40% from three-point range. Yeah, Terry Nolan, you know, he shoots about 24% from distance, but 4.6 assists to 1.5 turnovers per game, nearly two seals per game, 11.5 points per game, and Cameron Holden, it's going to be holding it down down low. 14 points, 9 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game, but I really think that the X Factor for Hofstra is their unheralded big man that winds coming in from the Atlantic Sun in Arkansas. Abioma Iola. He has been able to give the team 8.8 points, 9.3 rebounds per game, has racked up at least 11 boards in each of the team's last five games, doesn't turn the ball over. He has been terrific for a very efficient officer team. Officer not necessarily a team that's going to gun it. Towson has been relatively solid at being able to guard the three-point arc, so I did when I'm saying this out of 138. I'm willing to dive under, but for Ofstra, I think that they're just a better team in this spot. Made them a two-point favorite, so taking Ofstra on the money line, and I'm going to be riding with the under. 607, 608 on the betting board. USC hits the road to face off against Stanford. Stanford's between four and a half and five-point underdogs in your total on this game is 138 and a half. I think that USC should be able to survive in advance. We were talking about this game with Kevin Sweeney, but I wound up setting this line at four, so I'm going to be willing to take a four and a half to a five here with Stanford because because with the Cardinal, what I really like is the fact that Harrison Ingram has a chance to be the best, I guess you'd call it combo player out there on the floor. 12.5 points, 7 rebounds, only shoots about 31% from 3, but buries about 77% of his free throws. Overall, Sanford does shoot 64.8% at the free throw line, but among their top four scores, three of them shoot at least 72% at the free throw line. You've been able to get more out of Brandon Angel recently as well. A guy that wound up having a little bit of a rough start to the year, seven plus points in each other team's last four games. He shot at least 50% from three in every one of those games as well. Overall for the season, shoots 42% from distance as a six foot eight combo player. And then Jaden Delaire has been able to give you some good production as well. A guy that has now been able to give you right in the neighborhood about five rebounds per game, 12 and a half points per game. So he has been able to pick it up recently. Then you take a look at USC. Very good performance against Cal. They want to make it shots in that game that they just typically do not hit. This is a team that overall they shoot 35% from three, but 60% at the free throw line. That is going to cost you money down the line. I guarantee it. They have turned the ball over just 10.5 times per game. That's something that I do like a boogie else. He has been a solid pickup. 12 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal per game. And then Isaiah Mobley. How about this guy's versatility? Guy stands darn near 7 feet tall. He's been able to give you 15.5 points, 9.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists while shooting 44% from 3. He has shot at least 40% from 3 in each of the team's last 5 games, and he's given the team at least 9 rebounds in 4 of those games, and at least 19 points in 4 of them as well. He is looking like, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in all of college basketball, but the rest of the backcourt, I do have a couple questions with. Drew Peterson, great name, 12 points, 6 rebounds, shoots 34% from 3, but terrible at the free throw line. Ethan Anderson has been able to shoot 42% from distance, but that's not really his MO. Doesn't make the free throws that he needs to, six points per game. So I do have a couple concerns with this USC team. Stanford has good length themselves, so I think that they're going to be able to win a battle that I think is going to be slow and grimy. Set this total at 134. I'm willing to dive under with USC. Made them a four-point favorite, so willing to take four and a half to five here with Stanford. 609, 610 on the betting board. Rutgers is going to be in the red phase up against Penn State. Penn State, 
Find themselves between three and three and a half point favorites in your total on this game. It is between 131 and 132. And with Rutgers, I want to make them more around a four and a half point underdog. With Rutgers, they've got Ron Harper Jr. looking absolutely tremendous. A guy that has been able to drop right around 16 and a half points and seven rebounds per game. But you take a look at the outside shooting, 43 and a half percent. That has been a very good find for this team. He has been able to give the team at least 19 points in three out of the last four games and at least two steals in four out of the last five games as well. But take a look at Seth Lundy on the other end, and he has been relatively consistent here for Penn State. 14 and a half points, six boards, shoots 36% from three. But the guy that is really emerging right now, how about what you've been able to get out of Jalen Pickett? Pickett has given this team at least 13 points in each of the last five games. A combined 14 assists in the last two contests, and he's had two turnovers or fewer in four out of the last five. So he is emerging very well for the team. John Rar, 10.7 points, 10.3 rebounds. I think that he's going to be able to take Cliff Amarui to task. Amarui's been able to give you 12 points, right around seven rebounds per game. So he's been able to do a rock solid job down low. Not really much of a shot blocker. You take a look at this Rutgers team, and Geo Baker has been able to do a relatively solid job whenever he's not been injured. A guy that has been able to give you right around 12 points per game should be fully healthy for this one, but it's now been very hit or miss recently. Team's last five games, he's scored 11-9, 11-27, and 5 points. Now the assists have gone up, 4 plus assists in each of the teams. Last 4 games, turnovers have gone down. Rutgers, a team that is looking to play relatively slow in Penn State. They are really looking to play at a sales pace. Penn State in the bottom 30 with regards possessions per game. Rutgers overall, they shoot 68% free throw line, 34% from 3. And just take a look at this Rutgers team. Ever since Steve Peichel took over, this has been a team that has really not been themselves whenever they've been away from the rack, and I think that that is going to manifest itself in this game as well. So I'm going to be taking a look at in under, set this little 124.5. Won't lay up to 4.5 here with Penn State, so won't lay it. 6.11, 6.12 on the betting board. Tennessee is going to be playing us to South Carolina. Gamecocks are a 13-point underdog in your total on this game. You're finding it at a 139 and a half to a 140. I can't believe that South Carolina totals have been getting set so low because this is a team that they rank in the top 35 with regards to possessions per game. Now, Tennessee is a very solid defense, but as we know, Tennessee, they can be a little bit intermiss from three-point range, but I think that they're going to be a hit against a South Carolina team that has not been good at being able to guard the arc. The duo of Kennedy Chandler and Santiago Viscovi has been very good for this team. They've been able to average a little bit over 27 points per game, shooting right around 35% from three-point range with a combined four and a half steals per game. Now, problem is they do commit right around four turnovers per contest, but John Fulkerson down low, nine points, six boards. He's able to give you right around two and a half assists per game. And then Mr. Ziegler has been able to give you two and a half assists per game as well. Zakai Ziegler has been seeing a couple more minutes recently, has been able to step up for this team and combined seven seals in the last three games. Now, does turn the ball over a little bit too much himself, but I do take a look at Josiah Jordan James being a good blue guy for this team. Is able to give you right around six and a half points, five and a half rebounds, a block, a steal and a half. So, I mean, the guy just does a little bit of everything, and then you take a look at South Carolina, and you got a team that they just don't necessarily shoot it well. They shoot 32% from three-point range. Eric Steven said, has been able to put up 12 points, four and a half rebounds per game, but makes 29% of his threes. Now, he does shoot 93% of the free throw line, but everyone else on the South Carolina team, relatively bad with that aspect. They shoot as collective 66.7% of the line. Jermaine Cousinard has just not really impressed me. It's been a walking turnover for this team. 3.2 turnovers at 2.1 assists on 11 points per game, shooting 38% from three-point range, but shot 33% or worse from three in three of the team's last four games. So he's starting to 
cool down. You've got James Reese, who does wind up coming in from North Texas, and the gentleman from the Mean Green. Spain will give you right around 10 points per game, shooting 38% from three, but guys like Chico Carter have not been able to step up. I was expecting a little bit more out of Keyshawn Bryant as well, a guy that last year was able to give the team 14 points, five and a half rebounds, began the year banged up. He just really hasn't been able to take off a combined six points in the last two contests, so it has been a rough year for him, and I think it's going to be a rough year for South Carolina moving forward. I think that they're going to be playing the Ole style of defense, so I did wind up saying this total at a 145. I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and with Tennessee, want to lay up to 15 with them, so going to be looking to lay it here. 613, 614 on the betting board. You've got yourself Northern Illinois, and the Huskies hit the road to face off against Kent State. The Golden Flashes are a 15 to 15 and a half point favorite with your total on this game, and we're between 131 and 131 and a half. I said this line at 15, so here at 15 and a half, we've went a little bit too far with Kent State. Kent State has been, we're going to call it what it is, an underachieving team this year. Sincere Carey has been very good for this team, right around 17 and a half points. Five rebounds, five assists, 1.6 steals per game. But Kent State, they shoot 30% from three. Now, the redeeming quality with Kent State is that they shoot 80% of the free throw line. And among their top seven scores, six of them shoot at least 80% of the free throw line. The lone exception is six foot ten Justin Hamilton, who's still shooting right around 72% at the free throw line. Has been able to give the team nine and a half points, six half rebounds per game. I do like what you're able to get out of Malik Jacobs as well. Good Swiss Army knife player, 12 points, seven rebounds, two and a half assists. Just hasn't shot it well from three point range this season, but has been able to get the team double figures in each of the team's last four games, but problem with him is that he has been turning the ball over quite a bit as well. It combined 12 turnovers in the last four games. Then you do take a look at the flip side for Northern Illinois, and you do have a few guys who are able to put the ball in the basket. You've got Trendon Hankerson along Keyshawn Williams. These two guys combine to be able to give you 24 points per game. They combine for about four assists, three steals per game. Hankerson shoots right around 34% from three-point range, and then got Caleb Thornton shooting it at a 41% clip from the outside, so that is going to be able to help out the team now. On the glass, this team is terrible. Anthony Crump is right now leading the way with four and a half rebounds per game. So you're going to need to get a little bit more from this team. They've had Chindu, Kingsley, Okano, who has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, has not played since mid-December, so that hurts him. He's been able to give the team a couple of rebounds. The guy that I think is going to need to step up, Zul Keith, someone who last year was able to give the team six and a half points, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range. He's had a combined two points in the last four games. This guy has been a big, giant buster Rooney all season long. I do think that they're going to need to give him more minutes because Northern Illinois, they've been dealing with a couple of ailments, and I think that he's going to be able to emerge a little bit. This is also a Kent State team that ranks in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions per game. They have really slowed things down. Why? I have no idea, but as a result, they wind up setting this out at 125.5. You've got a Northern Illinois team that's one of the least efficient offenses in all of college basketball, but actually about college basketball average when it comes to defense, so they're not too terrible on that side, so willing to take 15.5 in a game that I think is going to be very slowed down, so this hold out 125.5, so diving under along with the points. 615, 616 on the betting board. Western Michigan is going to be playing us a Buffalo. Buffalo between a 13 to a 13.5 point favorite in your total on this game, between 154 and 154.5. Let's go fade Buffalo, because I wound up saying them as a 12.5 point favorite. This is a Western Michigan team that is really, really bad. With regards to defensive efficiency, they are in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball, 353rd, but you do have Lamar Norman Jr., someone who winds coming in from Duquesne, and he has been a lightning rod for this team, shooting 35% from three on 19 points per game and a steal per contest, so he's been able to do a nice job there now with Western Michigan. 
I think part of their defensive woes is the fact that they turn the ball over 16 times per game. But you do take a look at Buffalo. They only generate right around six and a half steals per game, and they're a very up-tempo team. you got a Buffalo team that shoots right around 34% for three. Free throw shooting is actually up a little bit with this team. You've got out of your top six scores, five of them shooting above 70% at the free throw line. I think that's been really intriguing to see what you've been able to get out of David Skogman, someone who actually is from the great state of Wisconsin. Watch him a little bit in high school. He's been able to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range, one off for 20 points and 15 rebounds in the game against Bowling Green a couple days ago. So he's actually been very good for the team. Ronaldo Segu shooting 43.5% from three-point range. And Josh Mbala has really formed his three-point shot as well. 41% there for Segu. More of a facilitator, 16.5 points, 5.5 assists per game. And then Umbala down low, 15 points, 8.6 rebounds per game. Should be good to go in this game. He was dealing with health and safety protocols a little bit earlier. About a steal and a half and a block per contest. Hasn't played since the 29th of December, but should be able to go in this one. You've got Jonathan Williams as well, a guy that for this team has been able to chip in there, 19 points, 5.5 rebounds. He has been rock solid, but for Western Michigan, I think that they're going to be able to get enough on the glass to hold in there. Marquise Hastings has been able to give this team 8 rebounds per game. You've been able to get some relatively solid performances out of Titus Wright as well, 5.5 rebounds. Malik McMillan winds coming in from Valparaiso, shoots 36% from 3-point range. Western Michigan, like I said, certainly not a great team, but we have also seen Buffalo play the Ole style of defense all season long now. With Western Michigan, not necessarily a great offense either, which is why I did why I'm saying this at 149.5. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a strange spot for both of these teams. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under end with Buffalo. Made them a 12.5 point favorite, so we'll take 13.5 here when it comes to Western Michigan. 617, 618 on the bang board. Dayton is going to be playing out to St. Louis. Slu is finding themselves a 2.5 to a 3 point underdog. And your tallest game is 136.5. I said Dayton as a 2.5 point favorite. So at a 3, I am starting to be able to take St. Louis at a 2.5. I'd be a little bit more inclined to lay it with Dayton, but I would much rather have a three here with St. Louis, just a little bit of a better number. And there are quite a few college basketball games that they do wind up landing on three, so I do like that protection there. You do take a look at what you're able to get out of St. Louis, and you've got Gibson Jimerson, who's been able to give you 16 points per game, has been a great three-point shooter for the team, shooting about 36.5% from distance, 89% the free throw line, and overall, St. Louis shoots 35.7% from three-point range, 76.7% the free throw line. They generate eight seals per game. Game. They do have Yuri Collins turning the ball over four times per game, but he has really been able to take off with his scoring 11 points per contest and seven and a half assists per game. So, guy has the ball in his hands quite a bit. And take a look at his scoring boom at least 11 points in each of the team's last five games. Now, the six plus turnovers in three of the last five, that's been a little bit of an issue. But Francis Okoto down low is able to give you nine points, seven and a half rebounds per game. I just don't think that Dayton is going to be able to hold up there. But with Dayton, I do like what you're able to get out of Malachi Smith 10 and a half points, four boards, 4.6 assists, two seals, shoots 41% for three. Very well-rounded game. Elijah Weaver shoots about 40% for distance, but we have seen a little bit of a fall-off from him recently. Has been able to give the team a combined 16 points in the last three games and 17 in the last four, so that's a little bit of an issue. Now, he has been able to generate quite a few steals, six in the last three games, so has been a good defensive presence. Mustafa Amzil, after he averaged right around 10 points per game last season, only about six half of the season, but Tumani Kamara, I think is going to be able to dominate with Dayron Holmes. These two guys are able to give you a combined 21.6 points, a little bit over 12 rebounds, three assists, and with Holmes two and a half blocks per game. I do think that this is going to be a Dayton team that's going to be able to win from within. A little bit of a tough road spot, but I do think that St. Louis can hold within three. I think that this winds up coming 
down to some late game falling. And when it comes to Dayton, they shoot about 70% at the free throw line. So just good enough. Dayton also does turn the ball over right around 15 times per game, which is why I did wind up clocking in this total more around a 134.5. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a slow down, sloppier game. Could it be taking a look at the under and we'll take three here with St. Louis? 619, 620 on the banging board. Ohio is going to be playing us a bowling green. The Falcons find themselves a 9.5 point underdog in your total on this game. Air between 151 and 152. I made my line 9, so here with the hook, I'm willing to take a shot here with Bowling Green. Now with Bowling Green, they have been missing a couple of pieces out there in the backcourt. Caden Menethy has missed some time, and even when he's been out there, he just has not necessarily been 100%. What has been really bad for the team is the fact that Caleb Fields has yet to get out there this year. I just don't know if he's going to be able to see the floor this season, but you do have Daquan Plowden, who's been plowing it down with 16 points, 7 rebounds, shooting 40% from 3-point range. Bowling Green, they should have a collective 76.5% free line, 35% from three in Bowling Green. They rank in the top 25 with regards to possessions per game, so they are playing very rapidamente. Meanwhile, you've got Mark Sears. He's been able to give this Ohio team 20 points, five rebounds, three and a half assists in sort of that Jason Preston role. Been able to shoot 44% from three. Overall, Ohio only shoots about 33% from three, but they shoot 79% the free throw line. They only turn the ball over 11 times per game. And Jason Carter along with Ben Vanderplas, both of these guys stand between 6'8 and 6'10, combining for 26 and a half points. They combine for right in the pocket of about 14 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 2.8 seals per game, so they have been rock solid there. Take a look at an ancillary piece out there in the backcourt of Miles Brown, and I like what I've seen out of him recently. A guy that is able to do a good job of generating steals, multiple steals in three of the last five games, not necessarily much of a score with seven points per game, but good on-ball defender for an Ohio team that has been able to put the clamps down a little bit more. I do like this defense overall, but I do think that we're going to see a big boom of offense with Bowling Green when this team is down eight points with a minute left to go. They are going to be hacking, hacking, and hacking some more, and then you've got Myron Gordon along with Mr. Trey Diggs. Both of these guys are able to combine for about 17 points per game. Diggs is able to shoot 37% from three-point range. Both of these guys shoot above 77% the free line. So I do think the Bowling Green is going to be able to hold within the number. Set this line at nine. So at nine and a half, willing to take the points. Set this total at 153 as well. Got a very, very fast Bowling Green team that I think is going to dictate the tempo. So take a look at the over. 621, 622 on the banking board. You've got Davidson and they're going to be playing us to UMass. The Minutemen hope to be lasting for more than a hot minute as a 13-point underdog in your tallest game. Is that anywhere between 152 and 152 and a half? Got yourself a very intriguing matchup here. You've got a UMass team that is in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to overrate, and you've got a Davidson team that has covered all but two of their games. So, two very hot trends in this game, but. I think that this line has went way too far. UMass is a team I think is actually relatively solid. I said this line at 7.5 with Davidson. I do recognize that this team has been a wagon, but they are still in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. I don't think that they warrant this high of a total just because they're going to need to go bonkers once again from three and I just don't know if they're going to be able to continue to shoot 41% from three as a collective. I mean, among your top five scorers, four of them shoot at least 41.8%. And I mean, this is a great team. Hunjun Lee, 17.5 points, 6.5 rebounds. It's been tremendous for this team. Foster Lawyer is coming in, shot 51% from three with 16 points per game. Luka Bravic has been able to give you 12.5 points, 7 rebounds. He has been tremendous as a Swiss Army knife big man, but I mean, at some point, what comes up must come down. And for UMass, this is a solid team with the Kelly's out there in the backcourt. Rich and CJ Kelly. These two guys combined for about 27 points per game, five assists. You've got Rich Kelly shooting 50% from three. CJ Kelly shoots right around 45.7%. They shoot 
shoot as a collective 40.5%. Once again, what comes up must come down. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with them as well. Craig Jones has been an interesting little mixer and shaker. Guys, they will give you five points, four rebounds, and shoots 47% from three-point range. You now have Noah Fernandez back in the fold as well. A guy that really gives this offense a little bit of a spark. 16 points, five assists, a little bit over three boards, shooting 43.5% from three-point range. First game back against Richmond. Was able to go off for 10 and 14 after that, so looks like he's back to his normal self now. Trent Butterick, right now your best rebounder for UMass with only about five rebounds per game, but is able to give the team 11.5 points. Shoots in the low 30s from three-point range. I think that UMass is going to be able to hold in there. UMass looking to really push a tempo. Davidson, they're a team that they play very slow but very efficiently, so I did wind up making this total 143.5. I do think that you're going to see regression with both of these teams with regards to their three-point shooting. I think that UMass, so they might lose the battle a little bit on the glass. I think that they actually match up quite well with the backcourt, so willing to take the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as well, fading both very noteworthy trends in this one. 623-624 on the betting board. You've got yourself Northeastern in the road to face off against James Madison. The Dukes are a 3.5 point favorite and your total on this game, you're going to be finding it at a 139 and it comes to Northeastern. I always have in the back of the mind the fact that this is a team that can blow a game at any time. It has been absolutely remarkable to watch them throughout the years. I did wind up saying James Madison as a 7 point favorite so this is a spot in which I'm going to be willing to lay it with James Madison. Didn't necessarily have the world's greatest showing against Hofstra but that was a game in which Hofstra just could not wind up missing. You just are going to have some of those from time to time. And I am just not in on this Northeastern team. With Northeastern, they're a team that they play relatively solid for like 30 minutes out of a game. And then there's like 10 minutes where they wind up committing like 12 turnovers. I have no idea what it is, but Northeastern, they commit right around 13 and after an overs game. They shoot 31% from three-point range. Big key for this team is Shaquille Walters. And he has not hit the floor since the 12th of December. So he is most likely going to be out of this game once again. You do have Jalen Telford, who's been able give you right around 12.5 points per game, but he shoots 26% from three, 56% free line on Northeastern. Does make as a collective 74.5% of their free throws, which is relatively solid, but they don't generate any turnovers whatsoever, and you know what James Addison does? They force steals. They get a little bit over 10 per contest. You take a look at their top three scores. Fado Morris, Decal Molson, Charles Falden. These three guys have been able to combine for about 31 points per game. They're able to give you a combined 4.2 steals per game. Molson is able to give you right around five boards per game. These three guys have been able to combine for about six half assists per game. It's really a collective when it comes to James Madison because Morse, right now your top scorer with 11.8 points per game, but you take a look at it and you've got six different guys that give you at least 8.3 points per game, so they do a good job of being a team in which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts now. They have been not necessarily getting a lot out of Jalen Hodge recently. The transfer from the Sun Belt has given the team a combined three points in the last three games, so that's been a part of why they've been struggling a little bit more, but what I do like for this team is the fact that Julian Wooden has been able to give you right in the neighbor at about nine points, five and a half rebounds per game has given the team seven plus points in each other team's last four contests. I think that he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low for the team. I think that James Madison going to be able to pump up their tempo and be able to create some havoc, really force Northeastern into some seals. So, one delay for seven here with James Madison, Northeastern, a very slow and methodical team. James Madison playing a little bit more up-tempo, but we've seen them play against the likes of Virginia. This is a team that they're willing to play relatively slow, so I'm going to be taking a look at the underset that's settled at 135, and I'm willing to lay up to seven here with the Dukes. We move on to 625, 626 on the betting board. Baylor is going to be playing against the Texas Tech. The Red Raiders are finding themselves as right around 12-point underdogs. We are seeing a little bit of movement with this one as I am also seeing out there 12 and a half. And your total on this game, you're finding it at a 135 to a 136 half. And when it comes to this spot, I did wind up making Baylor a 12-point favorite as well. 
At the 12, I'd be more inclined to take the points before I'd be willing to lay the points because with Texas Tech, though this has been a team that has been very hamstrung with regards to some of their ailments, I do think that this is going to be a team that once again is going to be able to give you a good effort. There is a chance that you could wind up seeing out there on the floor Terrence Shannon along with Kevin McCullough, but I am counting on both of these guys being out. Whatever they give you is going to be a bonus because even if they do wind up playing in this game, they are most likely going to be quite hampered. So that is something that you need to take into account. Like Shannon is dealing with a back injury and you'd never want to be dealing with a back injury. Meanwhile, you do take a look at Baylor and I still have trepidations with this team with their free throw shooting. This is a bunch that overall as a collective, they shoot 66.7% at the free throw line. This is going to hurt them at the worst possible time. Now, you take a look at the front end talent, and it's very good as you've got pretty much a quadrant that is averaging about, when you do the math, 51 to 52 points per game. And Kendall Brown, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and James Akinjo. All these guys shoot at least 37.2% from three-point range. Flagler is the low man on that totem pole. Meanwhile, the other three, they all shoot between 41.4 and 46.5% from three-point range. Cryer typically comes off the bench. He has been very good. Jonathan Chama, Chachua, 8.5.75 rebounds per game. Now, Jeremy Shane, it looks like he's going to be out of the fold. He's been able to give the team 8.6 rebounds, wound up going out in that game against TCU, so you expect to see a little bit more flow Thamba. So maybe we'll give you right around 5 points at a block per game, but for Texas Tech, I do think that they're going to be able to hold up. Daniel Bacho has been able to give this team some solid minutes, right around 4.5 rebounds per game. Not necessarily much of a score, but a good rim protector. You're able to get a little bit of something out of Marco Santos Silva as well. With the team dealing with some COVID-19 concerns, he's been seeing a little bit more action, and given the team three blocks in the last two games, so he's able to hold up down low. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Davion Warren along with Bryson Williams. These two guys combined to be able to give you 23 points per game. Williams shoots 41% for three as a six foot eight combo player. Kevin O'Banner is able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. I think that Texas Tech is going to be able to hold in there. Would rather have a 12 and a half than a 12, obviously, but even at the 12, I'd be willing to take it with Texas Tech. Texas Tech has really built themselves on defense. Baylor, a team that ranks in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to steals and turnovers force on a per possession basis. You do have a Texas Tech team that occasionally they can get a little bit loose with the ball right around 14 turnovers per game so it's a little bit of an issue. Texas Tech they themselves shoot 66% at the free throw line that needs to be noted but I do think that Texas Tech going to look to make this just a mad scramble. A really really ugly game so I do wind up saying this total 134.5. I'm willing to take the under and willing to take between 12 and 12 and a half here when it comes to Texas Tech. 627 628 on the betting board. You've got Deep Hall and they hit the road to face off against Marquette. Marquette is between a 7.5 and an 8 point favorite and your total on this game you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 149 and a half seeing as good as a 151 and a half and when it comes to the total, set it at a 150. I'm mostly seeing about 150 and a half, and I'd be willing to take that under. Could be gauging a little bit more movement if we wind up getting down to more like a 148 and a half, 149 market wide. We'll be taking a little bit more of a look at an over right now. The 151 and a half that I mentioned, that's at DraftKings. And being out here in Las Vegas, I cannot fire in on that one. So a little bit more of a wait and see mode, but I did wind up setting my total at 150. So sort of in waiting mode, but if we wind up seeing mostly 150 and a half, we'll be willing to take a look at an under. But when it comes to market, only set them as a six-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points when it comes to Justin Lewis. He should be able to do a relatively solid job down low. 15 points, 8 rebounds. Problem is, he only shoots about 26% from three. Marquette is a collective. They shoot 32.5% from three. They've been pumping up the 
defensive pressure in the backcourt, but at the same time, only about 7.5 steals per game. That's not necessarily superb. You had a DePaul team that they turned the ball over 12.5 times per game, and I think that Javon Freeman Liberty going to be the best player out there on the floor. 21.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.7 steals per game, a 38% three-point shooter. David Jones, I think, is going to be able to keep up with Lewis. Guy that's been able to give you 15.5 points, 8 rebounds, a steal and a half per contest. Now, Nick Ogenda wound up not necessarily having his finest moment against Villanova in that game. He fouled out with 0 points, 4 rebounds, so that was not necessarily great for him, but I did take a look at the rest of the team, and you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of Philmon Gerberwitt, who has been able to give you 7.5 points per game, has been inconsistent with regards to his shooting, but has been seeing more minutes, especially with Ty and Graham Foster now officially being redshirted. And what I think is also going to be key, just getting a little bit of facilitation out of Jalen Terry. Not a score comes in from Oregon, but has been able to do a good job, giving this team 4-plus assists in 3 of the team's last 4 games. Problem has been, he has also had a combined 12 turnovers in these last 4 games. I think that they're going to be able to rein it in a little bit more when it comes to Marquette Darrell Marcel. Good on-ball defender, a guy that's able to shoot 36% from three with 13 points per game, but when you take a look at the actual scoring of this team, you're going to be relying upon Oso Igrahoto, who's been able to give you right around seven points, four rebounds per game, someone who's been really heating up recently. You do take a look at it, and he has been able to give the team a combined 44 points in the last three games. I just don't know if that's going to be a last. You've got a little bit of outside shooting with Craig Elliott, but it's a little bit skittish to shoot. Makes about 47% of his threes, but he has scored a combined nine points in the last three games as well. So, I take a look at the spot. I think the Tapal hangs in there. Made them a six-point underdog. Like I said, set this total at 150. If we see more like 149, 149 and a half in the market, going to be taking a look at the over. If we see north of 150 and a half, certainly going to be taking a look at the under. So, a little bit more wait and see mode there depending upon your number. 629, 630 on the betting board. LaSalle is going to be playing host to St. Bonaventure. The Bonnies find themselves between eight and a half and nine point favorites in your tolerance game. And between 140 and a half at 141 and a half. I just duck St. Bonaventure because of the fact that this is a team that they haven't played in quite a while. That bludgeoning that they wound up taking at the hands of Virginia Tech, you have to go all the way back to December 17th. That's the last game that this team wound up playing, so it has been very nearly four weeks for them. Meanwhile, you've got a LaSalle team fresh off of a loss against VCU, so you've got two sides of the coin there, but I do think the LaSalle is going to be able to hang in there. You've got Josh Nickelberry comes in from Louisville. He's been able to get this team 12 points per game, shooting 35% for three. Overall, LaSalle only shoots about 66% the free line, but for St. Bonaventure, they've given up 70-plus points in six out of their last seven games. This was supposed to be a team that was really going to be hanging their hat on defense, and they have not been able to do so. Now, the good news is, it looks like Kyle Lofton should be good to go in this one. He wound up going in that game against Virginia Tech. Just wasn't really himself in that game, but he's been able to have now four weeks to be able to heal up. So, I think we're going to see a little bit of the old Kyle Lofton in this game. 15.5 points, right around 5.5 assists per game. So, I do think that he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job there. You take a look at Jalen Attaway and Jerron Holmes. These guys have been able to give you right around 27 points per game, a little bit over 14 boards. Got Attaway shooting 40% from three-point range. Dominic Welsh, 11 points. Five and a half rebounds per game. And then Oshun Oshuni, three blocks with his 10.6 rebounds per game as well. But got a thin rotation when it comes to St. Bonaventure. Now with LaSalle, I don't think that they're going to have anyone that matches up with Oshuni. But you do have, if you guys are able to do a little bit of something down low. Christian Ray has been able to give the team right around seven and a half rebounds per game. A guy that doesn't necessarily take a lot of outside shots, but is able to pop a few threes. And then Jabari Brickus has been able to give you nine and a half points. A little bit under three assists per game. Shooting 40% from three-point range. Nine plus points in four of the team's last five games. So I do think that LaSalle can hang in there against a very rusty St. Bonaventure team. I think that St. Bonaventure 
is going to try to get back to their roots of playing really, really slow, grimy defense. So I did wind up saying the total more around 130 and a half diving under, and we'll take nine here with the Explorers who are exploring a cover. 631, 632 on the betting board. VCU is going to be playing us to George Washington. Our nation's first president is catching 17 points, and your total on this game is between 127 and 128. And when it comes to VCU, I do think that they should be a relatively sizable favorite. I think we went a little bit too far here. I set this line at 14. I don't necessarily think that this is the world's greatest matchup for George Washington because you've got a VCU team that now has a little bit more depth. Now that they've got Ace Baldwin back in the fold, this is a team that they're able to play a little bit more of their Havoc style, and they're not completely anemic on offense anymore. VCU shooting about 31% from three-point range, not great, but... Take a look at the five games that Baldwin has played in. He's been able to give the team right around nine points, five and a half assists per game. And you take a look at those point totals for VCU, 66 plus points in four of them. That is actually really, really good for the team. And they still maintain their defense with 66 points or fewer in every one of them surrendered. And they've won every one of them. Now you take a look at Vince Williams Jr., 11 points, six rebounds per game. He's shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. Yeah, big bugaboo with VCU. They turn the ball over 15 times per game. But you take a look at George Washington. And at this point, they are pretty much a five-man team. You've been able to have Mr. Brayon Freeman, who's been able to step up recently, being able to shoot 48% from three-point range, ships in there about a steal and a half per game to go, along with eight points per game. He's had double figures in each other team's last four games. You've got James Bishop, who's been able to pair with Joe Besmeal out there in the backcourt for 29.5 points. Besmeal has been able to give you right around 6.5 boards per game. Neither of these guys shoot it well from 3, but Ricky Lindo Jr., the transfer from Maryland, 8.8 points, 8 rebounds, 2 blocks per game while shooting 38% from 3-point range, but I mean, the only other guy that you've got is Brendan Adams, 7.5 points per game, and everyone else on this George Washington team is an afterthought. You do take a look at VCU, and this is not a team that I necessarily trust too much to be able to cover this big of a spread because they do shoot 63.5% at the free throw line. They generate over 9 steals per game, but I think that this is going to be a little bit of a slowed down sloppier game. I think that George Washington is going to look to try to not make this a track meet, set this total at 126 half. I'm willing to dive under with VCU. Made them a two-touchdown favorite, so getting the field goal, the 17 here with George Washington, willing to take the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at an under. 6-3-3, a postponed game between William and Mary in College of Charleston. I don't know whether to blame William or Mary for this postponement, but I know that we don't have money to be made, so we go to 6-35, Miami of Ohio is going to be playing with Toledo. The Rockets are between a pick to a one-point favorite, and your total on this game is 152, and Toledo, I want to make them a four-and-a-half-point favorite. When it comes to Miami of Ohio, I actually do like what I've seen out of the team the season, but you've got one of the more efficient teams that is out there in a mid-major in the Rockets of Toledo, and what has been big for Toledo, Ryan Rollins has been a rolling for this team. How about 19 points, 5 boards, while shooting about 34% from 3-point range. Toledo's a collective. They shoot 35.2% from 3, 76.4% in the free throw line. They don't turn the ball over a lot, a lot with 11.5 turnovers per game, and then you've got JT Shulmate along with Cedric Milner Jr. pair of duo players that are able to give you right around 28 points, 13.2 rebounds, and 4 assists per game, and for Shulmate, he shoots 51.7% from 3 as a 6'7 stretch player. And then Ray J. Dennis, right around 12 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.7 assists per game. So this guy's been terrific. Now you take a look at Miami of Ohio. Dede Grant has really been able to emerge as the alpha dog out there in the backcourt. 17.2 points, 4.2 rebounds, 4.5 assists, shooting 34% from 3. Delonte Brown has been able to shoot 
38.5% from distance. He's able to chip in there, 12.5 points, 7.5 boards per game. And Prince Aya has been able to give you 10 points, 6 boards, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job. Isaiah Coleman-Lance is able to dish out the bomb for Miami of Ohio. Controlling the game has been big for them. 9.5 turnovers per game. They shoot 35% from three, 76.4% at the free throw line. So some relatively good production there. And you've been able to see Meja White be able to shoot over 46% from three. Problem is he only gives his team right around 6 points per game. Has given the team at least six points, so in now four of the last five. And then Makai Larry, right around 14 points per game is solid. But I do think that Toledo, with her front end talent, is going to be able to do a little bit more. And I just like them a tad bit more on the glass as well, especially with getting right around five rebounds per game out of Raheem Moss, who's been able to step up as a freshman and has been able to give the team multiple assists in four of the last five games and 10 plus points in four of the last five. So we're going to lay up to four and a half here with Toledo with this total. Made it a little bit lower because Toledo's not necessarily looking to gun at Miami of Ohio. Ditto for them. They're a little bit more just efficiency team set this all at 145 so diving under and we'll in the lay it here with Toledo 637 638 on the mega bar to Rexel is going to be playing us to Delaware the blue ends are finding themselves as a two and a half point underdog in your tunnels game in between 140 and a half and 142 and when it comes to this spot I want to say Delaware is a one point favorite with the blue ends I do think that Ryan Painter is going to be owning the paint but I will say on the other end you do have another big man in James Bishop that does impress me I think that this is going to be an absolutely terrific battle between these two because for Painter 14 points, 7.5 rebounds. That's impressive. Butler, 13.4 points, 9.7 rebounds per game. That is good, but Butler, not necessarily much of a shot blocker, and Painter is able to give you a little bit more of that. Now, you take a look at Cameron Winter out there in the backcourt for Drexel. He's been solid. 14 points per game. He's been able to chip shell right around 4.4 assists. He's been able to give out a combined 13 assists in the last two games, and he's been cutting down on the turnovers recently. Three or fewer in far of the team's last five games, but for Delaware, got a good trio of guards. Kevin Anderson, Ryan Allen, and Jameer Nelson Jr. This trio has been able to average right in the neighborhood of about 40 points per game. You've got Nelson Jr. giving you five boards. Been able to shoot 37% from three. Allen shoots 49% from three point range. And then for Anderson, we're on 2.7 assists and a seal per game. The big key for this team, being able to find a few other guys to be able to go along with them. You've been able to see Jair Davis be able to take over a little bit, but has been out due to injury recently. Expected to be out once again. So that means that Andrew Carr is going to be seeing a little bit more action. And for Andrew Carr, it has been a little bit hit or miss for him, but has been able to give the team four plus rebounds in four of the team's last five games. I think that he's going to be able to do a stellar job in this game. I think that Delaware has enough with their trio in the backcourt to be able to take down Drexel, especially with Drexel dealing with a couple of ailments of their own. You've been seeing Xavier Bell out there once again for the team, but hasn't necessarily been effective since coming back from injury at combined three points in the last two games. So I think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue. Going to be taking Delaware on the money line, made them the favorite. And when it comes to this total, set it at a 139. You've got a pair of teams that they're not necessarily fast. They are relatively efficient, but I do think that this could turn into one of those one possession games in which you don't wind up getting a lot of fouling because they wind up playing it out. So take a look at an under, and we'll take Delaware on the money line. 639, 640 on the main board. Akron is going to be playing us Ball State. Ball State finds themselves in 8.5 to a 9-point underdog in your toss game in between 142 and 143. Set this little more around to 135.5. Got a Ball State team that ranks right around 50th in the country with regards to possessions per game, but Akron has actually been one of the slower teams with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball, so I do think that the defense is going to be able to win out a little bit. When it comes to Akron, did wind up setting them at an 8.5, so here at 9, I am willing to take the points because with Ball State, I do like what you're able to get out of Luke Bumbleau, who's been able to give you 13 points per game, 3.5 assists, shooting 39% from three, and Ball State does shoot 37% from distance. Big bugaboo with them. 
14 and a half turnovers per game. They go up against an Akron team that they forced six steals per game, so it's not necessarily terrific. Now, Akron should be able to dominate down low. Enrique Freeman, 12.3 points, 11 rebounds per game, and a block, so he's been able to do a stellar job there. Akron does shoot 35.7% from three, but 64.8% at the free throw line. Now, I will say, among their top four scores, three of them shoot at least 73% at the free throw line. Ali Ali has shown good versatility, 15 points, 2.8 assists, shooting 45% from three. Brian Trimble and Xavier Casaneda have been able to combine to shoot 37% from three, combining for about 22 points and three assists per game, but KJ Bolton has been out of the fold for quite a while for this team. Been able to get right around four rebounds per game out of Aziz Bandangu, who's been able to do a solid job recently, has been able to give the team at least one block in each other team's last five games, designated seven-foot job blocker for the team, but I do think that with Ball State, they are going to be able to hold up a little bit more because Peyton Sparks has been able to give you six rebounds per game. Tyler Cochran, 11.5 points, five boards. He's been able to shoot in the low 30s from three-point range, and you do have Marion Thomas shooting 35.5% from three-point range, and has been able to chip in there nine and a half points per game, eight plus in each other team's last four games, so he's been able to do a solid job there. I do think the Ball State holds in there in a game that I think is going to be a little bit slowed down, setting the total 135.5, diving under with Akron, one to lay up to 8.5 with them, so here at the 9, taking a look at the points with Ball State. 641-642 on the main board. Kentucky is going to be hitting the road face-off against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is looking to anchor down at home at 6.5-point uh, underdogs, and your total on this game, saying we're team 140 and 141, and with Vanderbilt, I want to saying them as 3-point underdogs. I think that they're going to be able to hold in this game. Vanderbilt has looked a little bit different ever since Rodney Chapman has been able to get out there. That has been big for this team. A guy that was able to start while he was at Dayton. He hasn't necessarily been too much of a scorer for this team and has been able to do a good job on the defensive side of things. A guy that has been able to give you right around 36% three-point shooting has been able to chip in there. A few assists been able to give you a seal per game. So it's been able to be a nice asset for this team. And then you take a look at Scotty Pippen Jr. 18 and a half points. Right around three assists per game. Does a great job of being able to get to the free throw line. And then Miles Tute. Shooting 41% from three has been terrific. Only about eight and a half points per game, but has been able to come through in some big spots for the team. And all of a sudden, you've been able to get a little bit more out of Trey Thomas. Thomas can be a little bit of a hit or miss guy, but eight plus points in four of the team's last five games. It combined four turnovers in the last five contests as well. And then Jordan Wright is able to chip in there 16 points, leads the team in rebounds. So that's going to be big because Oscar Sheboy, he is a man inside. 16 points, 15 rebounds, blocking half per contest, leads off college basketball with regards to his rebounds per game. Kentucky has two very efficient guards out there on the outside, Ty Ty Washington, Lug Kellen Grady. They combine two and a half turnovers per game. They shoot over 42% from three-point range. Grady, one of the highest efficiency players out there in all of college basketball with his 12 points per game. Washington, more around 13 and a half points per game. Xavier Wheeler, right around 9.5 points with his 7.3 assists per game, so he's been able to do a good job there. And Jacob Toppin has actually really been able to emerge for the team as well, averaging right around 6 points per contest, but was able to give the team 14-8 and eight in that loss against LSU, actually was one of the better players on the floor in that game. So, I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that Kentucky can have a little bit of a tough time going on the road. It's one of the most unique venues in all of college basketball, the way that the benches are set up. Kentucky's had a little bit of a track record of having a couple issues whenever they do wind up going to Nashville. So, while I'm setting this line at three, I think that Vanderbilt going to be able to hold in there with now Chapman being back in the fold. So, I'm going to take a look at the points. And when it comes to this total, I do think that you're going to see Vanderbilt do a solid job of being able to slow things down. They rank outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. Kentucky not looking to play at a burner pace either. Set this total at 135. So, diving under along with the points. 643, 644 on the banging board. Central 
Central Michigan. It's the road to face off against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan is finding themselves between an 8.5 to a 9-point favorite, and your total on this game is 149.5. I wound up setting this line at 7 with Central Michigan. They have been a very poopy team this season, but I do think that we went a little bit too far with an Eastern Michigan team that actually is number one in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. They're just not necessarily too efficient. Noel Farkin has been able to give you 17.5 points per game, shooting 42% per three-point range, but all in all, Eastern Michigan turns the ball over just under 15 times per game, shoots 69.3%, the free throw line 31% from three-point range. Almonte Scott has been able to give you 14 points, four boards, three assists, has been a good set sheet suffer for this team, but for Eastern Michigan, you'd expect a little bit more than seven seals per game out of them, and then for Central Michigan, what's big for this team is that LIU transfer Jermaine Jackson Jr. is back. He wound up missing a bit of time earlier this season. He's been able to give the team 10.5 points, 2.7 assists, at 2.1 turnovers per game. Has been efficient with the ball recently. Four turnovers in the last four games and then Oscar Lopez Jr. has been able to chip in there right around 10 points per game along with Kevin Miller. Both of these guys in the backcourt combined to shoot about 39% from three-point range at a little bit over 79%. The free throw line now with Central Michigan. They themselves turn the ball over right around 15 times per game. They do shoot 37% from three as each other top four scores shoot at least 36% from distance. Problem has been shooting right around 65.5% at the free throw line, but you do have Ralph Bizanthinti who is back, who's been able to give the team nine points, seven rebounds per game. Harrison Henderson is a guy that legitimately stands right around six foot eleven-ish has been able to shoot nearly forty percent from three-point range, giving the team nine and a half points per game. So I do think that Eastern Michigan could have a little bit of a tough time matching up. I do think that this is going to be very much an up-tempo team with both of these teams not necessarily doing the best job on defense. I do think that the points are going to be affluent in this game. Set so this total one fifty-three. You're going to be taking a look at an over. And with Eastern Michigan was only willing to lay up to seven here, so taking a look at the eight and a half to nine here with Central Michigan six forty-five, six forty-six on the bang board. Syracuse is going to be playing us at Pittsburgh. The Panthers are finding themselves a 10-point underdog with your total this game. And we're between 141 and 142 with Pittsburgh. This has been one of the slower teams in all of college basketball. I do think that they're going to be able to slow this game down a little bit, set this out at 131.5, but with Syracuse, made them a 13.5-point fair. When you take a look at Pittsburgh, Jamarius Burton has been able to come through for this team, so I do give him a lot of credit, but really, other than he, you don't have a lot when it comes to the backcourt of this team. John Hughley has been able to give this Pittsburgh team right around 15.5 points, 8 rebounds per game, and then I mentioned Burton a little bit earlier. Overall this year, averaging 12.5 points per game, but you take a look at him recently, and he has really been able to come on for this bunch. He has been able to give the team at least 12 points, and now each of the team's last seven games, at least 11 in each of the last eight, so that has been a very good find for this team, and you take a look at Burton, wound up getting off to a rough start from three-point range to begin the season, but he's shooting 60% from three-point range on the road, but problem with Pittsburgh is the team ranks outside the top 300 with regards to possessions per game, and they turn the ball over 13 times per game. They only shoot 68% free throw line, 31% from three-point range. Femi Olakala, he does give you right around three turnovers per game. He's able to shoot only about 32% per three. He's seen a little bit of a tip in production. 12 points per game. Mohamed Gay, you were hoping that he would give you a little bit more down low than five and a half boards and 1.7 blocks per game. And then you take a look at Syracuse and Cole Swider. I think he's going to be able to do a good job. Six-foot-nine combo player has been able to give you 13 points, seven and a half rebounds, shooting 30 7% from three. Overall, Syracuse, they shoot 38% from three. To Pittsburgh's credit, they've done actually a relatively solid job of being able to guard the arc recently. Syracuse turns the ball over just 12 times per game, but I do think that that Syracuse zone is going to hurt a Pittsburgh team that they just haven't shot it well from three-point range. It's not their forte, so I do think that the Syracuse zone actually going to be working quite well in this game. Then you've got Bayheim squared. 
Buddy Bam and Jimmy Bam. These two guys have been able to combine for about 33.2-ish points per game, just under 10 rebounds per contest with Jimmy shooting 40% from three-point range. Buddy shooting 90% at the free throw line. So I do think that Syracuse is going to be able to run this game. I think that the 2-3 zone is going to be working very well in this game. So I did wind up saying this little 131.5, diving under with Syracuse. Want to lay up to 13.5, so laying the points. 647, 648 on the betting board. You've got UT Rio Grande Valley heading the road face off against Stephen F. Austin. Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin find themselves anywhere between 13 and 13 and a half point favorites with your total on scheme in between 150 and a half and 151. And with Stephen F. Austin, wind up setting them as a 13 point favorite. So, want to take the 13 and a half here when it comes to UT Rio Grande Valley, even at the 13. I would take the points before I'd be willing to lay the points because with Stephen F. Austin, it has been certainly a case in which you've been dealing with a couple of ailments with this team. They have been without, for the last few games, Roddy Ware, a guy that's been able to give you 11 points per game, shooting 42% per three, and saving off Austin, they do shoot 37.5% from three-point range. Among guys have actually made a three out of their top five. Four of them shoot at least 37.7% from three-point range. David Kekelreis has been able to give you 11 points, four and a half assists per game, so he's been able to do a good job there, but for saving off Austin, 18.4 turnovers per game. That is very unsightly, though. They do generate right around 10 steals per game in UT Rio Grande Valley. They turn the ball over 15 times per game as well, but you do have a dynamic guy in Justin Johnson who's made to give the team 17 points, 5.5 rebounds, stilling out 2.2 assists per game, 4 plus assists in four of the team's last five games. Now, with that said, it combined 10 turnovers in the last three games, so that is a little bit of an issue, but you take a look at Grand Valley. They have been able to get quite a bit of something out of Ricky Nelson. He transferred from Weber State, 9.7 points, 4.2 assists, right around 2 turnovers per game. Mike Adewanimi, 9.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per contest, and I do like what you've been able to get recently out of Merrick Nelson as well. A little bit over 11 points per game. He's someone that has been able to do a good job of hitting the glass with right around four boards, two and a half assists per game, and two plus seals in each other team's last five games. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to generate a lot of seals. I think that you're going to get a very much up and down game. Both of these teams rank in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. So, so at this total at 155, I'm going to be taking a look at the over and with Grand Valley. Here with the hook on the 13, I'm willing to take the points, set this line at 13. So going to be taking a look at an over and taking a look at 13 and a half here with UT Rio Grande Valley. 649, 650 on the bank board. Northern Iowa is going to be playing host to Indiana State. The Sycamores are finding themselves as a 10-point underdog and your total on this game you're going to be finding a little bit of a range here as you're getting it anywhere between a 148 and a half and a 149. And when it comes to Indiana State, I did wind up saying them as more around a seven and a half point underdog with Indiana State. I do like with the first year regime in Josh Schertz and company have been able to do with this team. And Northern Iowa is a team that I'm starting to warm up on a little bit. AJ Green has been tremendous for this team. Coming off of injury last year, he's been able to give the team 17 and a half points, be able to shoot 36% from three. Northern Iowa it's collective shoots 36% from three. And this is not your father's Northern Iowa team. This is on a team that's in the bottom 40 with regards to possessions per game. Now, they're not necessarily the world's fastest team, but at the same time, they're more around league average, right in like the 180 sort of range, but you do have Trey Barrow, who's back in the fold as well. 9.7 points, 5 rebounds, shooting 40% from 3, and then I do like what you're able to get out of Austin Fife. A guy that's 6'9", shoots about 33% from distance, 7.5 points per game, and then what I think is going to be intriguing is Nate Hesse. This is someone who has been able to give the team 10.5 points per game, has exploded a little bit lately with 7 plus points in each other team's last six games, but then you take a look at the flip side for Indiana State, despite the fact that they've been without Tyree Key all season long, they've been able to have some good production out there in the backcourt. Cooper Nice and Cameron Endry, a combined 30 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds, five assists, and two steals per game with Henry shooting 35.5% from three-point range. Micah Thomas has shot 39% from three with his 12.5 points per game. Overall, Indiana State shoots 75% free throw line, 35% from three with just 11.8 turnovers per game. They've really pumped up the tempo out there, but 
Northern Iowa, I do think that this is a team that they might get back to their roots a little bit more, try to slow this game down a little bit, try to not have things out of sorts. Indiana State has actually been 7-4 and four against the spread. I've actually really liked betting on this team. They've been able to do a little bit of a better job with their defense recently as well, so I do mind them setting this total at a 144. I'm going to be willing to dive under, and Northern Illinois made them a 7.5-point favorite, so taking the double digits here with the Sycamores to go along with that under. Now we go to my New York Post play today as we got 6.51, 6.52 on the bank Kansas. It's going to be playing with Iowa State. Cyclones between 12 and 12 and a half point underdogs in your tallest game. And we're between 141 and 142. I set this line at 7, so you guys know it's coming. The New York Post play today. We are going to be going with the team from Ames, Iowa. Iowa State with the Cyclones. Despite the fact that they wound up having that little bit of a blow-up late in that game against Oklahoma, I really do like what I've seen out of this team. With regards to Seals Force on a per-possession basis, ranking the top 10 in that aspect. And then when it comes to points allowed on a per-possession basis, number 5 in the country in Isaiah Brockington, he does a great job of being able to lead the troops. Right around 41% three-point shooter with 17 points, 8 rebounds, 1.3 seals per game. And then Tyrese Hunter, not a good three-point shooter, but does everything else for this team. 10 points, 3 rebounds, 4.8 assists to right around 3 turnovers per game, 2.1 seals per game. Now, Iowa State, they do turn the ball over a little bit themselves, but you take a look at this Kansas team, and ever since conference play has started, this has been a team that has slowed down a little bit with their offense, still shooting a little bit over 37% from 3-point range, was maybe expecting a little bit more out of Remy Martin. 10 points, 3.5 rebounds, 3 assists. It's been a nice ancillary piece, but now 10 points or fewer in 4 out of the last 5 games that he's wound up playing in, ever since having that ailment that kept him out of the George Mason game. It's not looked like himself. Now, Jalen Wilson, down low, has actually been able to do a good job. 7.6 rebounds, not scoring the way that he did last season, but you take a look at the rebound, 7 plus in 3 of the team's last 4 games, but it just seems like he's a guy that either gives you everything or nothing. Now, Oshay Ogbaji, I think is the top 5 player of the year candidate. He's been able to give the team 20.5 points per game, shooting 47.5% for 3, a great on-ball defender, but I do think that Iowa State, with having guys like George Condit the 4th, doing a good job of being able to support this very wonderful, I guess you call it, front line of this team, Anesh Kunich, who's been able to give you 7 points, 4 boards, shooting over 50% from 3. Got a lot of guys that are sharpshooters coming off the bench for Iowa State. That'll keep them within arm's length. I think that Iowa State is going to be able to utilize their defense to keep this game very close. Set this total at 135. I think the Kansas going to be all down, much like they did against Texas Tech. Now, I don't think the Kansas loses outright on their home floor, but set this line at 7 to so the New York Post play of the day. It's going to be Iowa State on the spread, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as well. 653, 654 on the betting board. Florida State is going to be playing us Miami. Miami is finding themselves between 6 and 6.5 point underdogs. Your total on this game is between 149.5 and 151.5. This is a total that I set at a 144.5 with Miami. They've been really, really efficient, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up. And I did wind up setting my spread at 6.5 as well. At the 6.5, I'd be willing to take it a little bit more than I'd be willing to lay it, but at 6, I'm certainly willing to lay Florida State. So I'm right now looking at one of the 6s. is going to be gauging a little bit of line movement because if we really get to like a 7, then I'll be in on Miami, but take a look at Florida State and Caleb Mills has been able to step up for this team. Shooting 36% from three-point range, a little bit over 13 points per contest. Take a look at him recently. Eight plus points in each of the team's last six games. He's done a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers as well. A combined five turnovers in the last four games. Matthew Cleveland, 10.5 points, 4.3 rebounds per game. Not a great three-point shooter, but that's why you've got Malik Osborne shooting 42% from three, 83% the free throw line, 11.5 points per game. And for Florida State, they do a good job generating 10 steals per game now. They turn the ball over 13 times per game as well. And Miami, as I 
mentioned with our good friend Kevin Sweeney, they are just not turning the ball over as well. Nine and a half turnovers per game. Cam Agussi, 18 points per game, shooting 39 per separate three. Isaiah Wong, 16 points, four boards, two assists. And then Charlie Moore, who wound up having seven steals in that game against Duke. He's been able to shoot 39 per separate three, 12 and a half points with four assists. Cut down on the turnovers has been terrific, but what are you going to be able to get out of some of these guys like a Sam Wardenberg and Anthony Walker down low gives the team only about six points, two and a half rebounds per game. Has been limited to 14 minutes or fewer in three of the team's last four games. Has been good in small doses, but you do have some question marks there as well. So I think that's going to be an intriguing spot. Like I said, at a six, I'm willing to lay it with Florida State. Once we wind up getting the six half or higher, I'd be taking a look at Miami. I did wind up saying the total at 144 and a half, so I'm going to be diving under along with most likely a a six or better with Florida State. 655, 656 on the banking board. Nebraska is going to be playing us at Illinois. Illinois, a 13 and a half point road favorite. And your total on this game, finding it at a 150 and a half to a 151 and a half. So at this total at 155, you got a Nebraska team that they rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. This is a team that they're looking to play very rapid. Meanwhile, you got an Illinois team that they're playing a little bit faster and they've got an all American candidate of their own in Kofi Coburn. How about what he's been able to do down low? 22 and a half points, 12 and a half rebounds at a block per game. He is an unmovable force and then out there in the backcourt. This team has actually been better without Andre Corbello. You take a look at Alfonso Plummer, 16 and a half points per game while shooting 40 2% from 3 at 97.5% of the free fly. And then Jacob Grandison, along with Trent Frazier, they combined for 23.6 points, a little bit over 7.5 rebounds per game, 5 assists. These two guys have been shooting it very well with Granderson shooting 50% from 3. Frazier, more on 38% from distance. Now, Illinois, they do turn the ball for 14.5 times per game. Nebraska, not necessarily a team that's been great on defense, though. They do generate right around 8 steals per game, but they themselves have been turning the ball for a lot more recently as you take a look at Alonzo Verge. And this is a man that has had his turnover issues recently. Now, it's got that down to six turnovers in the last three games, but that's because he's now playing fewer minutes because he just hasn't been a good fit for the team. You got a Nebraska team that they shoot 28.3% from three. You got one guy on this Nebraska team that averages more than five and a half rebounds per game at Derek Walker. 10 points, 6.3 rebounds per game, but you take a look at Bryce McGowan's 15 and a half points, five and a half rebounds. That's relatively solid, but Trey McGowan's has been out of the fold for the last 13 games for the team. That has been hurting them quite a bit. You've been looking two more minutes out of Latin Mayan. He wound up creating the bad situation that caused them to lose that game in overtime against Ohio State. Not necessarily a disciplined guy, so I think that Nebraska is going to be in for a relatively long night in this spot. I do think we went a little bit too far with this one. I set the line more around a 9. Nebraska stinks, but you still have to go on the road, and you still have to win a game by double figures out there in the Big Ten, and that's never easy, so I did wind up saying this total at 155. I am willing and take a look at the over, especially with being able to get right around 8 points per game out of Kasai Tominga, who has actually been able to do a solid job being able to hit right around 34% of his threes, been able to generate about a steal per game, so going to be taking a look at the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 657, 658 on the betting board. Texas is back to being a favorite at home against Oklahoma. Boomer Sooner between a 66.5 point underdog and a game, and between 126 and 127.5. When it comes to this total, I set my total at 127.5, so here at 126 and 126.5, I'm going to be taking a look at an over, and with Texas. I want to make them a 7.5 point favorite with Oklahoma State. I just am not in on this team because they are not necessarily the most disciplined team in the world. Turnovers, I think, is going to hurt them against a Texas team that ranks
ranks in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. They are also in the top 10 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Oklahoma, 14.3 turnovers per game. That is a little bit of an issue. Now, they shoot 36% from three. Tanner Groves has been able to give you right around 14.6 points per game, so he's been solid there. Omaj Gibson shooting 95% of the free line, 38% from three, 13 points per game, so these guys have been able to step up. And then down low, you do have Jalen Hill giving you 9.5 points, right around 6 rebounds, 2 assists per game, so it's been a good Swiss Army knife type of player for this team, but I take a look at the flip side for Texas. Even though Trey Mitchell is likely going to be missing this game due to health and safety protocols, you still have out there Timmy Allen, a guy that has been able to give this team 12 points, 7 rebounds, shooting only about 29% for 3. Overall, Texas shoots 33% from distance, but 77.2% the free line. They generate 9 seals per game. Marcus Carr very much has been needing gas recently. Had 4 points in the last game against Oklahoma State, but prior to that, had 13 plus points in 3 of the last 4 games. It seems like Texas is starting to figure out things a little bit more with him. And then you've also got Dylan Disu, who is back in the full Wanda missing the early part of the season, but able to give the team eight points, five and a half rebounds. Good six foot nine Swiss Army knife player Courtney Ramey to be able to give this team nine points right around three and a half boards per game. So I do think that Texas is going to be able to win the battle in the backcourt. I think that they're going to be able to dominate an Oklahoma team that just creates too many turnovers. Set this total at 127.5. I'm looking at an overhand for Texas. One will to seven and a half with them. So laying the points. 659, 660 on the betting board. Almost going to be in the road face off against Texas AM. The Aggies find themselves between four and four and a half point favorites. In the last game is anywhere between 133 and a half and 134. I'm willing to lay up to six here when it comes to Texas A&M for the Ole Miss Rebels. They wound up having a nice win in the Egg Bowl on the hardwood a few days ago, but you take a look at Jarkel Joyner dealing with the back injury, and that's very bad. He's a guy that's been able to give the team right around 15 points per game, and has really been the best sharpshooter for the team, shooting 35.5% from three-point range overall. You've got a Ole Miss team that is shooting about 34% from three-point range now. Jamin Brakefield along with Matthew Morrell. Both of these guys have been able to give you between 9 and 9.5 nine and points per game. They're both shooting about 41.5% from three-point range, so that's been solid, but you really don't have a lot of facilitation outside of Mr. Ruffin, as you've been able to have Deshaun Ruffin give you 12 points, three and a half assists per game. You want up just returning in that last few games against teams like Sanford, Tennessee, what have you. And he's been able to do a relatively solid job for the team. A five foot nine Jitterbug freshman that has been able to give the team three plus seals in each other last three games. I see Brooks in half rebounds per game, but I do take a look at Texas A&M and I do like the fact that they play a very balanced and a very just sound style. Tyrese Radford along with Henry Coleman combined for 19.1 points, 11 rebounds per game. They're able to generate two seals per game and for Texas A&M, they get 11 steals per game. Now, they only shoot about 64% free throw line. A little bit of an issue, but they also shoot 38.7% from three-point range. You've had Quentin Jackson shoot 40% from the outside. Typically comes off the bench and has been very good with 13.5 points per game, 1.4 steals per game. I do like what you're able to get out of another backcourt piece in Andre 3000 Gordon, who's been able to give you 8.5 points per game, shooting 52% from three-point range. You've been able to get right around three assists, eight points per game out of Wade Taylor the fourth as well. So you've just got a lot of weapons for the Texas A&M team. You've got a little bit of a hampered Ole Miss team at this point. So I did end up making this line six Texas A&M. A team that likes to play a little bit slower has been playing a bit faster this year. I think that they're going to get back to their roots a little bit more. So did I'm saying this total at a 131. I'm willing to dive under. And when it comes to Texas A&M, willing to lay up to six with a bit of a banged up Ole Miss team. So willing to lay the points and take a look at the under. 661, 662. Postponed game between Purdue and Michigan. So we go to 663, 664. Oklahoma State is going to be in the road off against West Virginia. West Virginia is finding themselves as a four-point favorite, and your total on this game is 134, and 
I wound up saying my total as a 134. We have seen a little bit of movement on this one. We saw this open up at a 133 and a half. So at a 133.5, I'd be in on an over. When it comes to 134, I'd probably still be leaning a little bit more towards the over because I did wind up making this line six. And as we know, when you wind up having a six-point game with a minute left to go, typically that means a march to the free throw line. And you got a pair of opposites here. Oklahoma State in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. West Virginia in the bottom 50. But for West Virginia, they do have their main pieces back out there on the floor. Gable, but showing who's been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game has been able to return along the Tasmanian Devil, Taz Sherman. He has been able to give the team 20 and a half points per game. First game back against Kansas State at 14 points on just one turnover. So he was able to do a relatively effective job there. And for West Virginia, they do a relatively solid job of not turning the ball over. They get eight steals per game, headlined by the fact that Kadrian Johnson has been able to give you right around 2.1 steals per game. But they shoot 32 and a half percent from three point range, 64 percent at the free throw line. But you take a look at Oklahoma State, and this team has been terrible at taking care of the ball. They shoot right around 66% of the free line, 29.4% from three with their 15 and a half turnovers per game. Now, they themselves generate 10 and a half steals per game. Avery Anderson, the third, along with Bryce Williams, they combined for 4.3 steals and 23 points per game. So they've been able to do a superb job there. Isaac Likely, seven points, six rebounds, Four assists and a seal and a half per game has been relatively solid for the team, but you're going to need to have other guys be able to step up for the team, like a Kalen Boone, who's been able to give the team six and a half points per game and did have 17 points, six boards in their win against Texas, but has been highly inconsistent ever since getting two still waters. So that is going to be a tad bit of an issue with West Virginia. You certainly don't have the frontline talent when it comes to the team outside of Taz Sherman, but I do like what you're able to get out of Sean McNeil. McNeil has been a little bit more of a streaky three point shooter this season, but still able to give the team 15 points on 41. One and a half percent three point shooting. Jalen Bridges, seven and a half points, five rebounds per game. So he's been able to do a solid job there. I do take a look at this game, and I do think that West Virginia going to be able to win the battle down low. Musa Cisse has been a relatively solid rim protector for this team, right around six points, six rebounds over there at Oklahoma State, but at the same time can get into foul trouble and is a guy that, once again, has been dealing with a couple of ailments himself, so that is a little bit of an issue as he wound up playing in just 22 minutes with eight points in that game against Texas. So I'm going to be taking a look too late here with West Virginia. When it comes to Minnesota, looking at it over at 134 or lower, 665, 666 on the bank board. You've got Creighton playing with Providence. Providence is finding themselves in between a two and a half and a three point underdog in your tallest game, say we're between 132 and a half and 133. This is a really intriguing spot because you've got a Providence team that, as an underdog, 5-0 straight up. Not against the spread. They have won on the money line all five times in which they've been an underdog. Now Creighton as an underdog. They're 4-2 on the money line. So I was figuring whichever team was going to be the underdog I was going to be probably taking a shot with. I did wind up saying Creighton as a two-point favorite. So here at the three, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Providence because I do think that this is a game that it could very well come down to the final possession. You've seen Creighton really throttle things down. They're outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. Providence, they're outside the top 300 with that regard as well. You take a look at Nate Watson, 14 points, 6 boards for this Providence team. He should be able to do a relatively solid job down low, but then you take a look at Ryan Hawkins for Creighton, and he has actually been very good for this team. 13.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, shooting 36% for 3-point range, 7 foot 1. Ryan Kalkbrenner 12 and a half points, 7 rebounds, right around 3 blocks per contest, but the backcourt has been brutal for Creighton. 14.3 turnovers per game, Ryan Nemard, she's 35% from 3 with 12 points, 4.4 assists and a seal and a half per game, but the 3.6 turnovers per game, that is not necessarily great. You have 2.7 turnovers per game from Arthur Kaluma, and that's just unforgivable. I mean, gives the team 8 points, 4.5 rebounds, doesn't really dish out the ball. He's just been a walking turnover with 9 turnovers in the last 2 contests. Then you take a look at Providence, and you do have your questions when it comes to the backcourt, though. Jared Byam has 
has been able to play some of his best basketball recently. He's been able to give the team at least nine points in each other team's last six games. Three and a half assists to 1.8 turnovers per game. Al Durham has been able to do an okay job for this team along with A.J. Reeves. Reeves has been dealing with ailments recently, but you take a look at Durham, 13 points per game. Only shoots still 25% from three. Providence as a collective, they shoot 32.5% from distance, 72% at the free throw line. And then you take a look at Creighton. I do think that they're going to be able to pull it out on their home floor because they are a team that they've got the support behind them, but they only shoot 30% from three, 69% the free throw line. So I do wind up saying this total at a 132.5. I do think that's going to be a little bit of a slowed down game. So here at 133, I'm willing to dive under. And with Providence, willing to take a three or they've been good in the underdog spot all season long. I could see that holding true here. So take a look at the points and taking a look at the under. 667, 668 on the banging board. Auburn hits the road face off against Alabama. The Crimson Tide find themselves between one and a half and two point favorites. And your total on this game, you're going to be getting it at a 156. And I think that this is just such an intriguing spot here because we were talking about this game with our good friend Kevin Sweeney and I made Alabama two and a half point favorite. With Alabama, they have been having a very high ceiling and a very low floor this season, but I think that they're going to be able to emerge in a big spot here against Auburn. Now, when it comes to Auburn, they have been able to get back in the fold. Alan Flanagan, but he's sort of been in and out with regards to his availability. A guy that's been able to give you 14 points per game this past season during the 2020-21 season this year in three games has averaged just seven points per game, so he's trying to re-acclimate himself. Now Jabari Smith, a future top 10 pick in the NBA, 15 and a half points, six half rebounds, shooting 45% from three. Great skill set, well no green. They will give you 13 points, four boards, 4.6 assists, and you've got an Auburn team that they generate right around 9.7 steals per game, and when it comes to block shots, Walker Kessler, four per contest among power conference players, he is number one with that regard, but I do take a look at this Alabama team, and I do like what you're able to get out of the backcourt of this team as well. As you've got Javon Quinterly, who's really been the head of the sink for this team. He's been able to give the team 15.5 points, 4.3 assists, only shooting about 26% from three, but Jane Shackelford makes nearly 40% of his threes with 16 points per game. You've got Keon Ellis, who just does a wide variety of things for this team. 12.6 rebounds, two assists, 1.7 seals per game. You've been able to get right around nine and a half points and five rebounds per game out of an underrated guy in Juwan Gary as well. And Gary has been able to step up for the team recently. Eight plus rebounds in two of the team's last three games. Nine plus points in three of those games as well. So he's been able to give this team some nice production. And then J.D. Davidson has also been able to step up in a big way for this team. Young guy, he's been able to give the team eight and a half points, right around 4.3 assists, five rebounds. Just really does a great job of being able to stuff the sad sheet. Noah Gurley, Charles Badeco, I think are going to be able to hold Walker Kessler at minimum at bay. You've got a lot of good pieces with this Auburn backcourt like Zepp Jasper and company in. Auburn has really been able to step up their defense. Alabama, despite the fact that they play very much up-tempo, last year they were really built on defense. I think that they're going to get back to those roots. I think it's going to be a fun, exciting game. Set this little 154.5. I'm willing to dive under. I think that both defenses step up their play a little bit. And with Alabama, was willing to lay up to 2.5 with them. So between 1.5 and 2, willing to lay here. And I'm going to be taking a look at the under as we move on to 669-670 on the betting board. You've got Loyola Chicago, and they are going to be playing as a Valparaiso. The Crusaders are between 17 and 17.5 point underdogs with your total between 136.5 and 137. And when it comes to Valparaiso, set them as a 13.5 point underdog with Loyola Chicago. I do think that this is a class of the Missouri Valley, but you take a look at Valparaiso and getting in there 
a gentleman from the great state of Wisconsin, Kobe King. I think he's going to be able to help them out. In seven games, he's been able to average 15.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, and is shooting 43% from three-point range. You have really seen the offense be on an uptick ever since he wound up getting out there. He's also been able to do a good job giving you right around his seal per game. And then you take a look at Ben Cricky behind him, 15 points, 3.5 boards. Valparaiso overall shoots 75% of the free throw line, 34% from three. And you take a look at Loyal Chicago, just a very efficient team in general. Headlined by Ryan Schwieger, 12.5 points. He has been able to shoot about 44% from three-point range in that game against San Francisco. Came up huge with 24 points. He's been able to get the team 13-plus in each other team's last four games with Loyal Chicago. This is a team that they only turn the ball over 12 times. They shoot 40% from three, over 50% from the floor. So they take very good shots. And Tate Hall has utilized himself in a different role for this team a few seasons ago. He was shooting right around 42% from three with 12.5 points per game this year. Only about 5 points per game but 4.5 rebounds. He's been able to do a solid job down low. Still shooting 40% from 3-point range. Has been a little bit more of a supporting cast role player for this team. You've got Ahir Uwak who's been able to give you 10 points, 3.5 rebounds shooting 41% from 3-point range. I do think that Valparaiso going to be able to hold in this game when it comes to rebounding though. It sounds like you're going to have Thomas Kithier back in the fold. The guy that's able to give you 10 points, 7 rebounds per game. You've also been able to have some very good production out of some of the other pieces out there in the backcourt. Sheldon Edwards along with Kavion Taylor. Taylor shoots 41% from 3-point range. These two guys combined to be able to give you 22 points, right around 4 assists at 2.5 seals per game. So, I'm taking a look at the points here with Valparaiso. I think that this line is a little bit too hefty. One to lay up to 13.5 with Loyal Chicago. So, here at 17, going to be a take there. And with Valparaiso, they do a good job of being able to slow things down. Loyal Chicago still out on defense. Set the sold at 131.5. So, diving under 671, 672 on the banking board. Fresno State going to be playing us to San Jose State. San Jose State finds themselves as a 15.5 point underdog in your tallest game. saying we're between 127.5 and 128. I set Fresno State as more like a 10 point favorite. I feel like San Jose State is just being dog because of what has happened to them in past years, but with now having out there Tim Miles, a very good coach, this team has been much more competitive. Now, if you have a fear with San Jose State, it is the turnovers. They're turning the ball over 13 times per game with Umari Moore having 3.7 of them, but with the San Jose State team, they are shooting 40% for three. 66% free throw shooting isn't great, but mentioned more a little bit earlier. 14 points, 5.3 rebounds, right around 5 assists per game. This is a San Jose State team that they themselves have been able to have a little bit more down low. Sean Robinson along Trey Anderson. They combined for about 11 rebounds, just under 20 points per game. And then what I think is going to be interesting is the Beck Groner. The transfer from Arizona, 10.5 points, 3 boards. He's been able to shoot 47% for 3-point range. You take a look at Fresno State. They rank 353rd in possessions per game, so a very slow team. Jamero Baker has just been out of the fold for the team pretty much for the entirety of the season, so you can't count on him, but you can count on 7-footer Orlando Robinson, who's been able to get the team 19 points, 8 rebounds, shooting 34% from 3 as a 7-footer. Isaiah Hill, along Jordan Campbell, both give you between 8 and 8.5 points and 3 to 3.5 rebounds per game. Problem is, Campbell only shoots 24% from 3 for a Fresno State team as a collective. They shoot 30.5% from 3 now. They do a good job of being able to hold on to the ball. 10.7 turnovers per game. They only generate right around 7 steals per game, so I do think that that's going to keep San Jose State live in this game. I think that San Jose State could have a little bit of a tough time against Robinson, but I think in the backcourt, San Jose State is going to be able to compete. I think that this is going to be a slow, grimy game with the way that Fresno State just likes to play. And San Jose State, they themselves outside of the top 225 with regards to possessions per game. So, they wind up saying this total at 126, diving under with Fresno State. Could only make them a 10-point favorite. So, taking 15-plus here with San Jose State. 673-674, postponed game between UC San Diego and UC Irvine. So, this is going to be the last game before we wind up hitting the extra games. 675-676, UNLV playing us to New Mexico. New Mexico is finding themselves 
themselves between a six and six and a half point underdog with your total on this game 151. I wound up saying this line at four and a half with New Mexico. They have been undervalued all season long, and I do take a look at this New Mexico team, and I'd like what you're able to get out of Jamal Mashburn Jr. 19 points per game, a guy that shoots right around 35% for three. Overall, New Mexico, they shoot 34.6% for three, 75% the free throw line, top 10 in the country with regards to possessions per game now. They're without Drew Throw Muscatin. He wound up suffering a very fatal car accident, so he is going to be out pretty much for the rest of the year or until otherwise noted, but Shaquan Singleton has been able to do a great job ever since coming back. Six and a half points, been able to dish out two assists, shooting 50% for three. Good glue guy out there in the backcourt to support Jalen House. He's been able to give you 16 points, four and a half assists. Got a New Mexico team that, despite playing so fast, just 12 turnovers is really impressive now. Roy Sam, I think, is going to be able to go ham down low. 10.2 rebounds, nine points per game. He's been able to do a nice job for UNLV. You take a look at him and has been able to give the team at least 10 rebounds in four of the team's last five games. Not necessarily the world's greatest shot blocker, though. Bryce Hamilton, he's sort of the Carmelo Anthony type. He'll give you 18 points on 18 shots, 18 and a half points, two assists, one steal per game, shooting about 31% for three. And for UNLV, they shoot right around 31.5% from distance. Have been relatively effective at not turning the ball over, right around 11 turnovers per game. But Michael Nuga has been very hit or miss coming in from Kent State. Wound up having a massive 21 point performance against Seattle, but past that, has done darn near nothing all season long. So, I do think that UNLV is going to have a tough time being able to pull away from New Mexico. I do think that UNLV is going to be able to get their tempo. UNLV has done a great job of being able to play quite slowly this season. You take a look at them, and they've been able to hold out of their last five opponents, three of them, to sub-60 points. I don't think that they're going to hold New Mexico to 60, but I could see this being more like a 75-70 to 70 style game. Set this total at 143.5. I'm going to be diving under with UNLV. Made them a 4.5-point favorite, so one to take 6-6.5 six six here with New Mexico. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. It's all Atlantic Sun action from here as we start with 306-131-306-132. Jacksonville is going to be playing us as Stetson. The Hatters find themselves between 6 and 6.5 point underdogs. John's game is anywhere between 124.5 and 125 with Jacksonville. I did wind up setting them as a 5 point favorite, so I'm looking at 6 plus here when it comes to Stetson. Stetson has a guy in Rob Perry that I really like. He's been able to get the same 15.5 points per game. Guy that doles out to an assist, shooting 36% from 3 point range, and then Chase Johnson shoots 39% from the outside has been able to contribute right around 13 points per game. Christian Jones took him a little bit to be able to get going, but now he's been able to give the team double figures in each of the team's last five games. He's been able to chip in their 7-plus rebounds in four of the last five. And then for Jacksonville, Kavion Nolan being back out there, I think is very big for the team. A guy that in seven games has been able to give the team 14.5 points per game while shooting 44.5% per distance. Nobody else is averaging more than 10.7 points per game. And that would be Middle Tennessee transfer Jordan Davis. When it comes to this Jacksonville team, with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis, they have not been good. They're turning the ball over 13 times per game, but they generate nine steals per game with Nolan and Davis combining for 4.1 per contest. They do shoot 36% from three-point range. Problem is, you don't have a lot down low. You've got Usafa Osifo, who's been able to give you six rebounds per game, and then Mike Marsh, right around nine points, five and a half rebounds per game, shooting 50% from three-point range in a small sample size, but I do think that Stetson, with having Mamadou DeWaria being able to reemerge after he had a really rough start to begin the season, is going to be very critical. He's been able to give the team a combined 31 rebounds in the last three games. He has been dominant, so I do think that Setson could be able to hang in a game that I think is going to be very slow, very grimy. Setson is outside the top 300 with regards to possessions per game, so set the total 123, diving under. Willen takes 6-6.5 six six here with Setson. 306, 133, 306, 134. North Alabama is going to be playing against Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky between a 1 and 1.5 and point favor. Your total on this game is 145.5. Now, 
Eastern Kentucky has lost as a pretty sizable favorite in each other the last two games. I think that this is a very good bounce back spot against a North Alabama team that, with regards to defensive efficiency, is one of the worst teams at all of college basketball. They shoot 34% from three and 79% of the free throw line with each other top three scores for North Alabama, shooting at least 84% of the free throw line as you've got Daniel Ortiz. C.J. Brim, along Jamari Blackman, they have been able to combine for this team 30 points per game while having that free throw shooting. Blackman shoots 37% from three, Ortiz 41% from the outside with Brim and Blackman combining for five and a half assists per game, but you really don't have much outside of them. You really have one guy that's giving you more than five rebounds per game in Damian Forrest, and that is it. As a matter of fact, your next closest guy, Isaac Chapman, 4.1 rebounds per game. Then you take a look at Eastern Kentucky, and they have been dealing with a couple of ailments recently. Braxton Beverly has been missing a few games for this team. You've also been dealing with having out of the fold a few other ancillary pieces like a Kurt Lewis. Lewis someone who wound up returning in that game against Bellarmine at 12 points in that one. He's been able to average 8.5 points right around 5 boards per game shooting 35% from 3 and for Eastern Kentucky as a collective. They shoot 35% from 3 point range. Each other top 3 scores shoot at least 38% from the outside with having Jansen Williams, Banton along with Cooper, Rob, all be able to give you between 10.4 and 12.2 points per game. I think that these guys are going to be able to step up because they also combine to be able to give you right around 16 rebounds per game. Blanton as maybe give you three and a half assists per game. And this is still a team that they generate a little bit over 11 steals per game. Williams is able to give you two blocks per game. Great versatility in the Michael Moreno. Nine and a half points, five rebounds, two assists. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to shoot from the outside as well. I think that Eastern Kentucky going to be able to get online with this game. Set them as a six and a half point favorite. So one to later. Eastern Kentucky playing at a breakneck pace, playing against a North Alabama team that just does not play any defense. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. Set this total at 154.5. 306, 135, 306-136. Liberty is going to be playing us in North Florida. Give me Liberty or give me between 16 and 16 and a half points with North Florida. And your total on this game is 140 and a half. Liberty is still in the bottom 35 with regards to possessions per game, and I do think that we're going to see this team continuing to play relatively slow. You do have Darius McGee, just a walking bucket for Liberty. 21.5 points per game, 3 assists, shooting 38% per 3 overall. Liberty, they do shoot 37% from distance. They don't necessarily do the world's greatest job on the glasses. You've got one guy giving you more than 5 rebounds per game. That'd be Blake Preston, but I do like what you've been able to get out of Brody Pebbles, who's been able to give you 7.5 points per game. You take a look at him, and he's been able to emerge. It combined 27 points and 6 assists in the last two games. Then you take a look at this North Florida team and Carter Hendrickson is really the heartbeat of this team. 10.5 points, 4.5 boards, a guy that shoots 35% from 3 as a 6.7 combo player, Jose Placer, the point guard, they will give you 13.5 points, a little bit over 2 assists per game, 15 plus points at each other team's last 4 games, and it's cut down on the turnovers. The combined 5 turnovers in the last 3 games, he's been averaging right around 3 per contest this year for a North Florida team that they turn the ball over 15.5 times per game, but you do have another guy in Emmanuel Ada Dolan, who's able to give you 7 points per contest, shooting 47% from 3 point range needs to be a little bit more assertive with his shooting, but I do think that North Florida has a chance to be able to hold in this game. North Florida, a team that shoots 73% of the free throw line, 35% for three, turn the ball over a little bit too much, but this is not a Liberty team that is going to go out and is necessarily going to do a ton with regards to being able to get turnovers, so I do like what you're able to get out of Keegan McDowell, 11 points per game, shooting 44% from three-point range, but I do think that this is actually a stylistically good matchup for North Florida to be able to hold in there, set this line at 12.5, so one to take 16 plus here when North Florida set this on at 127 as well, I think that Liberty going to look to put the brakes on in this game, so taking the under along with the points. 306-137, Jacksonville State is going to be playing with Lipscomb. Lipscomb, an 11-point underdog with your total between 144 and 145 and a half. 
Lipscomb's numbers need to be tossed off the window a little bit because Asan Asadula wound up missing half of the season. Now he's back for the team, and this guy really helps run the offense. 19 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists, and 1.2 blocks per game for a 6'9 combo player. And then you got Jacob Onyesevich comes in from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. 17 points, 6 boards. He's able to shoot 53% for 3 prior age. Lipscomb, they shoot 36% for distance now. The 14.7 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly. You take a look at Jacksonville State, they create right around 7 steals per game. Nothing great, nothing terrible. You get right around a steal and a half per game out of Jalen Finch. Guy that's able to give you 7.5 points per game. Last year, average 11 points and more like 5 assists per game. So, he's seen a little bit of a fall off there, but has been able to give the team a combined 23 assists in the last three games. I do like what you're able to get out of Darian Adams. 15 points, 5 rebounds on 38% 3-point shooting. Has been a guy that has been able to give out right around 4 assists and a steal and a half per game as well. And then Jalen Gibbs coupled with Damari King. I've been able to give mine for about 22 points, 3.5 assists per game. Both of these guys combined to shoot 45% from 3-point range. So, I certainly do think that you're going to have some good outside shooting. Jacksonville State, though, they're a very slow and controlled team. Lipscomb has been playing a little bit more up-tempo, but I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job on the glass with having Asadula back out there. Parker Azen winds up coming in from the Missouri Valley Conference. Eight points, six rebounds. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, but Greg Jones, it will give you nine and a half points per game as well. I do think that Lipscomb could be able to hold in there with Asadula back in the fold. Set this all at 135.5, diving under with Jacksonville State. Going to make them a seven and a half point favorite, so take a double digits here with Lipscomb. And we wrap things up with here at 6139, here at 6140. Bellarmine is going to be playing us Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas finds themselves at 11.5 point underdog in your toss game. In between 148.5 and 150. Set this line at 11, so getting the hook on this, I'm going to be taking a look at Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas actually had a very nice win against Eastern Kentucky about a week or so ago, and when it comes to Darius Hall, he might be the best player out there on the floor. 13.5 points, 8 rebounds, 33% 3-point shooter for the transfer from DePaul. Now, you take a look at Dylan Penn, and he has been inking right around 15 points, 4.5 boards, 5 assists. Very versatile player, but Bellarmine, who lies here, shot over 40% from three-point range. That is down to 31 this season. This team does not do a great job on the glass. Got a guy who's able to give you 6.6 rebounds in Justin Betts. 2.7 assists, but he's now shooting 26% for three after last year. That was more like 44%. Ethan Claycomb, seven points, three rebounds. Really nothing to see here with them, so that has been a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at Central Arkansas. This is certainly a team that they turn the ball over too much, 15 and a half times per game, but have a 39% three-point shooter that's able to give you 10 points per game. And Colin Cooper who's been able to step up. You don't necessarily have that one true facilitator for the team, but E.B. Clintman has been seeing more minutes, and he's been able to take them and run with them. Seven plus points in four of the team's last five games. He's been able to give the team a combined 16 assists to four turnovers in the last three games, so that is a big reason why Central Arkansas has actually been able to play a little bit better. They also wound up getting a win against Lipscomb recently as well, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points here with Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas, a team that plays at a breakneck pace. Bellarmine actually plays very slow, but are highly efficient on offense and highly inefficient on defense, so it's a spot in which I am going to be taking a look at the over set my total more around 153 and getting the hook on 11 going to be taking a look at the points and that will wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups now part of the Beeson family of podcasts a big thanks to Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated for joining me in the last segment if you like what you're hearing from this five podcast Coast to Coast Soups you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts Google Play Spotify Stitcher and tune in if you've got a question comment segment idea whatever you for this podcast you have one of two ways we offer those in first one is my Twitter timeline at JRS41 keep in mind letters EM they mean does not matter size per usual please just send these into the timeline and the other way is finding an Apple Podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated from there, you're about firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I will be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.